This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about this show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. It's the Undercard. Bringing you the best in hand combat coverage with feature interviews, major events, and the hottest ring girls from around the nation. The Undercard is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. And now, here they are, always in your corner, Brad, Marv, and Jimmy. Welcome, episode 247 of The Undercard. As far as we know, the longest MMA boxing uh, podcast out there. I would say that's pretty accurate. Well, yeah, because the one people claim they were the first. So yeah. if they're claiming they're the first and they were three <laughs> years behind, we are the longest running MMA boxing podcast. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. You're welcome for Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. We caused that shit. Oh, damn right we did. We <laughs> broke that news a year ago. Uh, people are like, oh, man, now I wish they didn't mix and you know a little bit of conor mcgregor in it it's funny so um <laughs> you got conor mcgregor in my floyd mayweather you got floyd mayweather in my conor mcgregor exactly <laughs> exactly uh so a lot of media was in town for the adler uh, mm-hmm. shields fight and they're the boxing media is already done with conor mcgregor they're like oh my god is this guy always like that but that's what makes him charming to mma people yeah you know, he, he plays the lucky charm guy charming from, uh, no lucky charm guy from yeah, but charming uh, le- is not the word lepre- use uh, i'm just saying the he plays the leprechaun from ireland and <laughs> and floyd mayweather i watched episode except, two except he's so much taller than floyd mayweather oh, i know dude <laughs> But then I'm watching episode two of uh, what's my favorite show? Not twenty four seven. All access. Thank you. Yep. And Floyd is being such a douche on it. He uh, he goes. Everybody's saying I'm doing this for the money. I can make three hundred million in thirty six minutes. He goes, and it's not about the money. Go grab my bag. And then on uh, thirty, uh, all now all Where's access. Backpack? Seriously, yeah. he's just pulling out like bundles of ten thousand. See, why would I be doing it about the money? I'm like, why? Dude, why? We know you're rich. So Mayweather, I doubt you were rich. So Mayweather was being Mayweather. It's I mean, getting worse now. Now it's I don't like know. I'm making He's more than you. He's kind of always been no, that way. When we used I to watch Floyd. the ones with mm. him and Canelo, it wasn't that bad. Now it's, it's well, all about but that's money. because Mayweather had nobody to bounce off of because Canelo wasn't going to stoop to that level. Canelo, Canelo is going to take the high road. He is. He, he was always going to take the high road. He likes shoes, though. Likes so, shiz. Shiz. Let's get some shiz. Uh, Let's get some shiz. <laughs> Jimmy, you weren't much. with us last week, but there no. was some concerning, uh, and we get to get your take on this. Okay. Should we be concerned or not be concerned? Okay. Uh, the report came out Concerned. Last. No, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. The, work, the report came out last week, and mm-hmm. we talked about it. This thing is nowhere near sold out. But the cheapest ticket, in fairness, is $3,500. Should we be concerned that these pay-per-view numbers will not be what they're expecting? Because maybe there isn't as much interest as people thought? Or Um, are those ticket prices just so ridiculous? Those ticket prices are so ridiculous. Nobody's going to buy them. And you're going to see about a week out. Those ticket prices, the cheapest well, ones right. are going to start dropping. Right, exactly. Well, you can go anywhere. They are advertising it everywhere where you can go and watch it in a bar for right. 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think the pay-per-views numbers are going to be maybe not quite as high as they're expecting, but it's still going to be way up there. 
Um, but yeah, I don't. I think it'll get sold out. But like I said, it's just the ticket prices will need to go down. Sold out I don't or see- comped? Because there's a big difference. Yeah, yeah and MGM will never tell you which well, that's one. that's just it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, either or. It'll be a little bit of both. The ticket uh-huh. prices are going to come down. Then it won't be sold out. They're going to get... It'll be filled. The <laughs> oh, ticket gosh. prices will come down. They'll get probably half of what they haven't sold yet sold. And then the other half will be comped by local you know, MGM Grand and all those other places. So it'll be filled for the fight night. But... Half of what they haven't sold, I think, will be sold. The other half will be comps. Hmm. I don't know. It's a good weekend to be in Vegas and uh, not catch a cab for forty-five minutes. Yeah, it's a great weekend to be in Vegas. My, <laughs> my best friend, she's going there for a jujitsu tournament. Oh, she'll be miserable. Yeah, and she, but she booked her her hotel hotel yeah. bleh, hotel, hotel room. room. Long before the fight was announced, yeah. So her. she got it for nineteen bucks, yeah, a night. Uh, <laughs> let me tell her. Tell you what she can expect uh, not getting into a restaurant for two hours anywhere in Vegas not getting nope. a taxi cab for 45 minutes nope. and everywhere on that's the why strip, you use Uber yeah everywhere on the strip you can't gamble it because it'll be minimum then. 50 blackjack hands yeah. just they'll take over the town yeah. in this mm-hmm. fight yeah. it'll be like uh, I don't know like Super Bowl week in there yeah probably worse it's gonna be exciting yeah I yeah. guess and uh, my prediction still stands Mayweather I, I believe Conor McGregor will probably quit on the stool. But no, I don't think it'll go that. I, I think I don't. No, He's Mayweather. Quit. No, Mayweather <laughs> will not. Mayweather will not hit McGregor enough that McGregor will quit. Mayweather's going to win, but he's going to win like he wins every other time. He's going to win by points. Well, I think he'll just quit out of frustration. It's no, just I don't a, think so. I think I think he's gonna one of okay. two things is gonna happen. Either McGregor's gonna get disqualified because he's gonna do something stupid dirty. and dirty, or it's gonna go all the way or all the way to the end and Mayweather will win by points. Yeah. Uh who was the reporter in this room that asked Chris Cyborg who she thought would win? That was we me. Actually, uh, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> And uh, we actually have audio. Uh, we had a roundtable with Chris Cyborg and Christina Hammer and Mark Taffet. And we will be playing that complete audio because I think it's worthy of playing. I thought a lot that I thought a lot discussed about women's boxing. But that will be later on in the show, way later in the show. But what I am getting at is that if you want to hear what Chris Cyborg said about the fight, but we are two and a half weeks out from this thing. Our first half of the show is brought to you by Second to None Promotions. Happening August 25th, professional boxing. Get a boxing weekend in. Go see it live and then go sit at your couch or go to a bar the next day and see Floyd Mayweather uh, versus Conor McGregor. But this is happening at the Carlos Convention Center. That's 6015 East 10 Mile Road, Warren, Michigan. You can get tickets at S, the number two, the letter N, boxing.com, or you can buy them at anthonybarnstickets.com. And that's right, Anthony's fighting on the card. They're, brought, uh, they're providing sponsorship for the first half of the show. We have a sponsor for the second half of the show. When we get there, we'll get there. Who else is on that card? Uh, James we, Ballard. Why you, oh, why okay. You, why are you oh, good. Like that. Um, Anthony Flagg. Uh, it's on BoxRec. We'll see. We will definitely have them in studio. I can tell you that. Well, um, Barnes has got to get his no ad- excuse. I would say Barnes needs to get his ass in here. Cody's beating him. I don't know. I asked Barnes. He's like, Shh. 
I don't know. You guys are up Cody's butt right now. I'm joking. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he was just like, well, I'm, we'd busy. Be up, I'm busy. We'd be up your butt, too, if you showed us some no, love bars. No, I wouldn't. I'd, I'm come, on, come on in, Barnes. In come. Yeah. Come, come. You're not showing the love, man. Come on. What's up? So a pretty, pretty thought-out show. Not too bad. Uh, as Deadpool says, maximum effort today. So what we're going to start with is uh, my breakdown of Shields versus Adler. Then we're going to talk about uh, lots of retirements in the boxing world. And I'm not talking like small names, like big names retired last week since we've last done a show. We'll talk about that. Then after our first break, I am going to present to you because uh, the debate is whether Klitschko's a top 10 heavyweight or not. And after I debunk that, we will move on as I present to you Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali. Only one can be the greatest of all time. And I will present the case of both of them. And then maybe I will announce who she I think is. Thought. Yeah, next. But I will I will equally give each a fair shot. But it either has to be one or the other. Are is we going the on a point system or are we just no, listening it's to Brad? Just, no, we will openly discuss it. And only one can be. And everybody seems to think Muhammad Ali is. I have an unpopular opinion maybe that Joe Lewis is. And we'll present both and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. And on the flip side of after that, um, we do have, um, like I said, a roundtable discussion that was done by Mark Taffet. Uh, Mark uh, ran HBO pay-per-view. You might have heard of a fight called Manny uh, Pacquiao versus uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, he did that HBO pay-per-view. And he did a roundtable with Chris Cyborg and Christina Hammer, which I think is worthy of playing on our, our show. As, as we go forward, my goal to episode 250, because we get to experience a lot away from studio, is with the help of Jimmy and technology, we will start – Getting some audio I get at fights because I do run into a lot of big name people that just can't get into. They're not they're not Royal Oak fans. What can we say? And w- what we can do is just have them do interviews over a mic and allow them to be on our show, so we can hashtag them and get more listeners. That's the truth. And we'll go we'll go from there. <laughs> no, actually, that roundtable was really really good. It was neat. It was neat. And it was all set up by Mark. And, yeah. and Cyborg just came off a big win at Uf- UFC 218. It wasn't like yep. they were bringing in somebody that was... No, not 218. 214. 214. And it wasn't like they were bringing in somebody. And then Christina Hammer, who's undefeated, is probably in Gorgeous. line to fight Shields. And her people were really nice, too. Yes, Adler's they were super people were really nice. nice. She was but making her U.S. debut. In case... You did not read my article on FightNews.com, which you should read the article on FightNews.com. Uh, we did summarize the Shield Adler card. Showbox was in town. Dimitri Salida Promotions, Salida Promotions presented uh, Adler versus Shields. And the backstory of this fight is that here you had Adler coming in undefeated. Um, she was 16-0, and nine knockouts, and the WBC um, champion. Shields, in just her fourth fight, was up for the WBC championship versus Adler. But also there was a vacant um, IBF title on the line. And basically Shields pitched a shutout. The best you could possibly do, almost a perfect game. Uh, i got to find the stats here really quick in my article. I don't want to do it justice. But Adler only landed six of 84 thrown. 
compared to Shields landing 136 to 340 punches thrown. That is as lopsided as you'll get in boxing. She was busy. I could not, you know, I have no idea what was going on in Adler's head. If their game plan was to take her to deep water, she got hurt early by Shields. Um, It was the worst game plan I've ever seen in person. At that big of a stage, the worst game plan. Like, if you don't throw punches, Shields is just going to go nuts on you. She had the ability to throw from angles. She had the ability to change levels. She had the ability to throw with speed. And meanwhile, Adler's getting hurt. There was one time, I forget what round, mid-rounds, uh, three rounds. I mean, the thing only went five rounds. But third round, I think, she caught her with a left hook to the head. And Adler was hurt. Uh, the 22-year-old Shields is now 4-0, two knockouts. She's the WBC champ, and she is also the IBF champ, um, which leads now to Christina Hammer, who sat ringside. And Hammer is undefeated at 21-0, although if you go back to 2014 and you type, type in Christina Hammer knocked out, you will see that she has been knocked out in a fight in a weird, bizarre Germany ruling. Even though she was knocked out, she got the win. And so twenty one and oh yeah, you gotta look at it. She they they claim Did she get knocked out after the bell? No. She was actually holding her opponent's arm and the judge thought her opponent was holding her. And then she got knocked out when that happened. The judge goes talk to the other judges and she's awarded the win. So that's the controversy with Christina Hammer that hasn't come out yet. So whatever. She's supposed to be a really good fighter. She's huge, five eleven with no heels on. Um, so Shields is going to have to get a ladder and climb up there and get her if that's the way it is because Shields is a lot shorter than uh, Hammer. But hopefully that fight happens in Detroit, and hopefully it's done at the MGM Grand, which is a nice little venue. Actually, that should be a bigger venue if with Hammer um, being as popular as she is. And it's weird because Christina Hammer was just in town, and then Maxim ran an article about her about, hey, a lingerie model that is also a female boxer. So things are picking up for Christina Hammer. But 136 landed out of 340. Adler went 6 for 84. Uh, of course, the ref stopped it in the fifth round. It just basically the mercy of Adler, basically, you know, you're you're not going to win this contest. Not only are you not winning this contest, you're no longer fighting. And that was it. Shields has finally had a performance that I can get behind. The first three fights that I have uh, witnessed, two in person, one uh, I think I watched on TV. This is the first time she's looked very impressive. Now... She's going around claiming she's the greatest woman of all time. How is that pronounced? Quote. Quote. Yeah, it's not good when they say that. Like, you just uh, say greatest woman of all time. G-W-O. A-T. Yeah, A-T. It's a terrible, terrible acronym. But if you're... If you're Layla Ali or you're Christy Martin, you're probably offended by that now. Oh, absolutely. And she claims that that she is friends with... uh, Christina Martin. Yeah. I'm sure she is, but like I, I think she still has a ways to go. And then seeing how bad Adler was, and this is this isn't the fault to Shields because you fight who they put in front of you. Shields dominated, right? But clearly Adler's not on Shields' level, and we need to have a real test for Shields. Maybe it is Christina Hammer. 
but there is some weight at issue. So you're going to have to have a fight where Shields gets weight um, closer to where Hammer is. Can I just say that that would be a cool logo for that fight poster would be the Hammer and a Shield? Uh, why, do, why do you even say that over the air? I would have ran to the bank with that one and told somebody. Just, I, that would to, be, I told you at the press conference and you just went, uh. uh it's probably uh, working. I think, uh, no, because then people are going to say it looks like the communist thing, you know, the hammer and the sickle. And No, a shield is not a sickle. I know, but no. people might. No. No. I see both sides. I see I'm the trying, Game of Thrones. I'm trying to get people to say, oh, that's not going to work. And then you can jump in there and go, oh, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we're only four years old, dude. We're not. We're, we haven't we're bonded. Quit, yeah, yeah. We still actually clicked you know as a band no, on stage. No, I know what you do. <laughs> I know what you do. You 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 take uh, Thor and Captain America's faces off. You put shields and hammers on there, right, and then now you, you have... need to stop. You need to stop. <laughs> Someone's gonna run with it, and we're just gonna be like, damn, damn it. it. <laughs> off a of showbox, though, the shock of uh, the night was probably Jericho Quinn. Uh, he gets a beneficial beneficial draw. He went against Jose Elizondo, if I pronounce that wrong, I apologize, from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, his record was just coming in at two and three. Um, Rico got dropped and then got dropped again. Not really dropped the game the second time. He had a standing eight count, but he was out on his feet. And the three judges, uh, Judge Precopia, scored it. Um, in Chambers scored at 56-56. Judge Woodburn uh, scored at 57-55 for Eli Zondo. And so that was a majority draw. So that was a favorable decision. So that's basically saying the the judges said uh, Rico won every round besides the two that he was knocked down in in a six-round fight. It's rare to see in your hometown – you get booed for a decision, but I thought it was decent of boxing fans to realize that that was a gift to Rico, and there was some boos in the audience. And to tell you the truth, the audience was quiet until that happened. And then when Shields comes in, the whole place lights up, of course. Our friend Dominique Dalton, who said on this show he was more nervous to be on our show than he has ever been for a fight, uh, fought in Antonio Fernandez. And he won. All three judges scored at 60 to 54. He's looking to fight, I believe, on the 25th, the card I'm talking about. And uh, that's pretty much it from the Shields-Adler thing. As Obviously, Salida Promotions is doing a lot for uh, this area of boxing, and there's a lot of great promoters here. Um, I got to tell you, though, once again, if you're listening, disappointed. You guys want big boxing cards. You got to go buy the tickets to make big boxing cards still come here. The week of the fight, tickets were released for 125 They said they released more tickets. I don't know. You got to buy tickets to keep these fights coming here. That's all I'll say. I've been saying it from like four years ago. The number one argument I get is that there hasn't been fights coming here. You don't get bigger than Shields Adler in the women's boxing realm. Go buy tickets. Um, that's all I can say. Support local boxing, and then you will continue to have Showbox come, and you will continue to get promoters putting on big fights. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here, though. I mean, yes, they want... 
you know, the big names to come. But at the same time, you got to remember what your market is. You can't set your ticket prices so high that your boxing fans can't come to the fights. You know, there are there were there were and I'm not going to name any names, but there were boxing fans that I know I know desperately wanted to be there. But they saw the ticket prices and they're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So you got to know your market too. You're not fighting. You're not fighting in New York. You're not fighting in Chicago. You're not fighting in Vegas. You're fighting in Detroit. The market of Detroit cannot sustain high ticket prices. Right. But I would say this: for this level of fight and how often they come, if you're able to save for it, these are the same people that go to Lions games and probably drop. $500 on a Lions game yeah, after the, cheapest the parking ticket, and stuff. I believe, was 60 Right, and those probably sold out really quick. Right. right. The only ones that were available, I should say. There was some for 125 yeah. and, I, and I'll tell you this, and I'm 125 is very reasonable for that card. I know it seems high, but if you're going to drop $500 on the Lions with parking tailgating, drinking, tickets, and stuff like that. you got to come out but and support I boxing. I don't think you're talking about the same type of people. Well, I th- the, people that, the people that go to a Lions game are not the same kind of people that are going to be going to a boxing event. I mean, if, like, Mayweather and McGregor were fighting here, because they're huge we, names. I don't think we'd, you know what? What I'm saying, you, but what I'm saying is, or like, or like uh, Triple G or Klitschko or, you know, Anybody like that, I think people might shell out a little bit more money. I mean, it's no, and it's nothing against Adler or or Shields or anything like that. But unless you are a diehard boxing fan, you don't probably know who Shields and Adler are unless you follow boxing. Well, no, because she's yeah the Olympics, and she's from Flint. But how many every four years I'm a summer Olympics fan on her that they aired at the DIA. But how many non-boxing fans? They probably don't. No, exactly, exactly. So the, what the, I'm saying the is the goal of Team Shields is to make right. sure. So even what, more but what I'm saying is, is the die-hard boxing fans are not the same ones probably that are going and spending five hundred dollars on Lions tickets. You're also competing with declining attendance across the board. So let's let's just that, and that's that's the also wings true. And it's the summer. wings did ho- and it's summer the yes. wings did horrible this year. Oh yeah, Joe Lou, for well the final they were also playing like shit. Right, the Pistons haven't drawn anything. What has happened is been watching like shit. watching on TV now with technology. Yeah, uh, Mike Valenti says this on ninety seven one all the time. Is that the technology is so good now? Why why spend it? And not and leave your couch because you can watch it. So boxing is battling that too, and the fact that you probably have some. We were talking about it earlier. You probably have some people that can afford McGregor Mayweather, but realize three thousand five hundred gets you nowhere near the ring. Right. That is the last rose. Yeah. One hundred and fifty thousand or whatever it is right. gets you near it. That they're like, you know what? I got a home theater. I'll call the buddies over. Right. Blah, well, blah, like blah. you were saying that last week, the fact that. 
What if they gave some sort of incentive for the Mayweather with, McGregor? Right, with right. that. You're making three hundred million. I would have posters, and everyone that bought a ticket would get a free lithograph that went into that stadium. I'd make them sign twenty thousand lithographs, both him and Connor, because mm-hmm. they're making so much money. And then those lithographs would be one of twenty thousand, and then you you're getting more people in. Boxing hasn't been fan friendly. It's never been fan friendly, which is funny. Because boxers are the most accessible athletes. You can go to a weigh-in and meet your idols. I've seen it happen. You mm-hmm. stick around. They're the most accessible athletes. But yet boxing hasn't been, to their fans, overall the best they can possibly be. And, I, and Mayweather McGregor is a prime example. What else do I get? I mean, they, they announced the prices before they even announced the undercard. What else do I get? To make that worth it, I I would literally you're not training, you're signing posters. Everybody gets a free lithograph. Those lithographs are one of twenty thousand. That would probably get some incentive there because the lithograph is probably worth four thousand dollars at a uh, autograph shop. I would think that way. That's just the way I do PR. Like make it, and you know what? And if Connor and Floyd had a problem with it, I'll be like, you're making three hundred million. You're making a hundred million. Shut the shut the f up. Start signing again, dude, and just moving the lithographs through. We do it with the ring girls. Sign exactly. stuff. Like it's like, hey, you're working. Here you go. Here's a table full of signatures. Just do 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 do. Right. They have fun doing it, but I'm just saying that's what I would do. I, I would make Connor and Floyd even work for it more. Um, even crazy stuff in the fact that um, why isn't there a, a VIP gift bag? Or something like that for everyone that bought a ticket. If you're Everybody cheap, loves swag. Well, yeah. If your cheapest ticket is $3,500, you can put $100 in a swag bag with a hat, shirt. A pen. Pen, event poster, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, right. anything exactly, in there. Exactly, dude. Just make it more fan friendly. Um, man, we went way off topic with that. But, uh, <laughs> no, boxer, boxing fans in Detroit, come on. Come out. Um, we already talked about an event on happening on the 25th. Now, the cool thing about this, if you do have the budget for the boxing event at the 25th and you buy VIP tickets, that also gets you a seat at the Tilted Kilt on 14 Mile to watch the fight the next day, the McGregor-Mayweather. So, Tilted Kilt? Tilted Kilt, 14 Mile. and so that's 14 Mile actually, on what? Uh, 75? <laughs> 75. 14 Mile uh, on 75. Uh, let me look it up. The only tilted kilt I know is in Novi. So the VIP tickets for the table, Canton. you know, every place is going to cause a uh, charge of cover. Charge so of cover. Yeah. it uh, makes it a better deal oh, to get the VIP tickets. That's uh, not bad. Okay, hold on. Bonus, uh, bonus. Good, that's the tilted, good marketing. The, the tilted kilts and based out of Vegas. So no, I gotta, no, no, no. I know. No, I got to find the one um, here. Sterling Heights. So there's one in Novi. Oh, Sterling Heights. Sterling here Heights. We go. Hold on. Oh, my thing is. Hold on. Keep talking. I'm just. Oh, it's pretty amazing. I I, I like that. He did good. Uh, It's uh, Hayes. 44935 Hayes Road. It's not anywhere near 14 Mile. I was given wrong information, but I will double check on the bricks. It's 14 Mile Twin Peaks. Oh, you know what? It's not at the Tilka Kilt. My bad. It's at Twin Peaks. Oh. Shit. (laughs) It's at Twin Peaks. Wow. That doesn't. 
And that's in Madison Heights. <laughs> that's an honest mistake. Hold on, they hold on. Teas Let me see. They're both restaurants, man. But you still oh, get okay. the ticket. All right, so if you go to this thing, you get, you know, Frida Andiamo's in Dearborn. <laughs> it's a restaurant, you know. No, you get uh, a free pass to go to the Twin Peaks. On, is that one on 14 miles? That's what I'm looking. Yes. Hold on. Yes. Twin Peaks in Madison Heights. Yes. Madison that one, Heights. Yeah, that one 14 is at and 14 and 75, basically. Yes. Yes, yes. Twin Peaks. Yes. That yes. one makes more That's sense. That's why when you were telling me the Tilted Kilt this morning, I'm like, why? Yeah, 14 and 75, basically. Twin Peaks. Nowhere near it. Which has and great meatloaf, and you can watch no, the McGregor. it's roast beef. Roast beef. <laughs> you are just firing O for everything today. Uh. I need a neuro exam. Jeez, the they have good food. They do have great food. Yes. Um, so, but do you know how much VIP tickets are? Uh, I don't. But okay. we will have Kenny Moore in here, and I'll right. talk more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, I do know that our friends at Hooters of Taylor are also showing the fight. If I remember correctly, um, it's a it's a high cover, but then you get a gift card that you can use elsewhere. But we'll talk over the weeks. In the next couple of weeks, what my goal is is to get you as many places as you possibly can go to watch it. We'll 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 show the economical side of it. Mm-hmm. We'll show the non economical side of it. So that's probably gentlemen's clubs and stuff like that, where you can just throw singles on the table while watching in a strip club. Gross. And uh, we'll show you the economical <laughs> side of it. And then we'll talk more about that. I mean, it, it's you know we're they, two. They're going to act weeks, like they're Floyd. We're two weeks they're out. Right. It's bound to happen. Do do do. Unless one of them gets injured, God forbid that would happen. Oh, oh my god! god. Terrible. People would be like, oh "You need god. to shut your mouth." People, oh, it's not my money invested. No, in I'm that just fight. saying. Like you I'm just, just like, no, no. I, it's it's boxing. It could happen. He says stuff, and it just happens. And oh no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Definitely don't put want your that foot to happen. In your mouth. Um. So before we go to our first break, so boxing must have had a buyout or something. I know they're independent contractors and stuff, but three big names decided to retire last week. One, Vladimir Klitschko. Yeah. Uh, two, Timothy Bradley. Whoa. Desert Storm himself. And then three, a guy that I particularly don't care for, Juan Manuel Marquez. Um, so let's start backwards and forwards. Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, God, you know, just this is speculation. Might have been juice in the, the fourth fight with Pacquiao. Um, I never liked Marquez. I, I, I uh, maybe it was because I was a Pacquiao fan or something like that, and you know he was Pacquiao's nemesis. You know the the four fights were so close, besides the one where he laid him out. But Juan Manuel Marquez in uh, what's he forty one or something? He has finally called it quits. Now the more surprising one, Timothy Bradley. You'll have to look up look up Timothy Bradley's age. Um, Timothy Bradley retired a lot younger. Uh, Timothy Bradley, I can tell you this about the guy. Nice guy. A guy that I I never rooted for because I didn't like his style. But now that he's retired, I appreciate him. Not only um, as as a guy, I think he's a pretty good commentator. Um, You know... He's 34. Pr- 34. He's 33, yeah, 33, Which is kind of young in boxing now. They go forever. Uh, he'll have a great career in commentating. Um, he's just a good guy. But the thing with Timothy Bradley is he can't run with the champions, so it's probably a good time to get out. You're, you're always going to be now uh, a co-main event. 
You can't run with the champions. That's probably a good time for Timothy Bradley to get out. Now, Vladimir Klitschko, the rumor was that he was going to fight Anthony Joshua in a rematch, rematch. For the, which was a great heavyweight fight. Um, last week kind of shocked everybody. It came out that he was retiring. We were lucky enough to catch Jonathan Banks, who trained Klitschko after um, Emmanuel got sick. And when Emmanuel got sick uh, and eventually passed away, Jonathan Banks uh, took over training Vladimir Klitschko. And I am going to play you just a brief couple comments from Jonathan Banks. I'm going to warn you right off the bat, not the best quality. It was in a media room. But uh, I don't believe Jonathan Banks has talked to anybody else. And nobody knows Vladimir Klitschko in the world like um, Jonathan Banks the one thing about him is that it wasn't just a, a, a trainer relationship. They were actually really good, good friends. So once again, I apologize about the audio. The one thing, I do not sound good on these tapes. Um, but we're going to play it, and we're going to see how it goes really quick. So here's Jonathan Banks talking on uh, Vladimir Klitschko's retirement. <sighs> So the last question uh, gets gets mumbled over because they had a fighters meeting going on and they were announcing it. But basically, he said that if you if you had to retire, that's a fight you would want to retire on. So his, his thought was that it didn't really have to be a winning note 
that Klitschko showed that he could battle with Joshua and produce a, a very exciting fight and that he was happy that his friend retired. So those were thoughts on Jonathan Banks. And really quickly, we could have went to fight news with that and got it on there, but I wanted to save it for the undercard first. Now, it doesn't mean it's not going to end up on Fight News tomorrow or the day after that, but I wanted uh, Team Undercard to get that first. And thank you, Jonathan Banks. Um, You know, Jonathan, JB, has been around for a while. Um, You know, obviously with the Kronk and everything like that, and he's always been super nice to the Undercard. So thanks for giving our thoughts on Vladimir Klitschko. And like I said, I apologize about the audio. Me and Jimmy are going to get on this and and work that towards uh, episode 250 as we continue to bring stuff. But Klitschko's another guy like Marquez, or, or not Marquez, but is another guy like Timothy Bradley in which now that he's retired, I can tell you this about Klitschko. Amazing guy. Everybody that uh, knows him or has met him, he is an amazing person. And maybe I didn't appreciate his style for a lot of the fights and wasn't a huge Klitschko fan. Now that he's retired, just like Timothy Bradley, I can look back and say job well done. Not only job well done, good people for the sport of boxing. So enjoy your retirement, Vladimir and Timothy, and I guess Juan too, but... As I said, I'm not a huge Juan Manuel Marquez fan. But some people were crazy. And on the other side, we're going to talk about this after our first break. But people were talking Klitschko top 10 heavyweight of all time. I'm going to A, debunk that with help of uh, some media out there. And then two, I am going to present the case of if Clarissa Shields saying she's the greatest woman of all time, however that's pronounced again, uh, who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time men? Everyone quickly says Muhammad Ali, but I'm going to bring a case for our Joe Lewis, who fought out of Detroit, who not only fought out of Detroit, fought during a very turbulent time in United States history. And not saying that Muhammad Ali didn't with the Vietnam War and stuff like that, but with World War II going on, I'm going to present two cases, let the listeners decide, because there is no right or wrong. They're, you know, We're not going to be able to produce this fight. Maybe one day EA, will, EA Sports will come out with uh, finally another boxing game. And EA you can, Sports. It's yeah, in the game. They can simulate it, but um, we'll, we'll give the case of both people. Yeah, both amazing people. And we'll just talk. Maybe maybe Joe Lewis should be in the conversation. Everyone always thinks the greatest of all time. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Uh, debunk why Klitschko isn't a top 10 heavyweight. And uh, talk a little Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali. Be back. You're listening to The Undercard. Hand Combat Radio. The Nashville. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 247. Oh, yeah. Jimmy was just talking about Imitation Game? It's called The Imitation Game, yeah. Well, it started because, uh, you know, anybody who listens to the show knows that Brad and myself and Rochelle, you know, we're into comic books. We're into, you know, DC, Marvel, all that kind of stuff like that. And Brad was telling me that there's a movie coming out in November uh, called Professor Marston and His Wonder Women. Um, Or, oh, no, it's Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. And looks kind of independentish, but it, 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 but it looks good. And it's about the guy that created the Wonder, you know, Wonder Woman in the comic books or whatever. He wrote under a, a pseudonym, and um, 
I know. Uh, so he, uh, so we were watching the trailer, and he said it looks really good. And I told him, I said, "Well, you really need to watch a movie called The Imitation Game, which was which is with Benedict Cumberbatch, um, and it's about Alan Turing, who create who created basically the first computer that he used to break the Enigma code during World War II." And the secrets that he had to live with and, and all that kind of stuff like that and what ended up happening to him. And I mean – and there's an, a legitimate thing. You can look it up. It's called the Turing test, which is a, a – it's basically a, a test that you ask somebody a series of questions and that series of questions will determine whether or not they're a human or a machine. And it's it's – it's more than that, but I mean that's what I mean, it's called the Turing test. Mm-hmm. So, but it's called the imitation game. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. We're both talking about movies that really happen. They're based on true stories, and they they follow true storylines. Maybe there's a little bit here and there. Is there a movie out there that you wish was true? Because I easily have one. It's the <laughs> Chuck Berry. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. If he really was a CIA agent, he, he passed away. But he wrote that as an autobiographical that uh, biography that he, while he was running the Gong Show, he was a CIA agent killing killing people. I want it to be true so much, but at the same time, it was so out there. George Clooney was in it that I don't know if Chuck Berry wrote it fictional. And obviously, the CIA denies that he was. Well, yeah, but, of course they do. But. That's the one that I really wish was true that I don't know. But is there a movie out there that you oh – God, I really – I would really have to think about that. Um, easily da- – Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. You got to watch – Rochelle, have you seen that movie? No. That Write it down. That yes, movie is amazing. Uh, uh, what's his face? Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam and that's uh, George Clooney's in it. And the, you know, it's not a far-fetched story in the fact that he would have been the perfect – CIA assassin, but it's tough to believe, and a lot of people argue that it is fiction, although I think Chuck Berry never, when he went to his grave, said that it was true. Um, Another one that we've talked about before is the Kumite guy. A lot of people say that shit didn't happen, and he brought the trophy from a trophy shop, but the the John uh, Claude Van Damme, we talked about this at the old, old studio. Oh, man, it's been yeah. You'd have type to in me. Um, a blood sport. Supposedly, that guy said there was some underground tournament, and it's been proven that that wasn't true. That would be another one that I would think was true. It was based off uh, John Claude Van Damme played. What was his name? Uh, God, he's still alive. Frank Du. Yeah, he's the one that claims that there was a secret event called the Kumite. And basically, but if you go down and read the controversy, a lot of people say it's it's full of shit. And he sold it as a, a true story. The real Frank Du Bloodsport True History Hollywood versus History. Yeah, give um, me a little bit. Okay, I, I can always do that before. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to find. Uh, according to the movie, the Kumite tournament is a no holds barred mixed martial arts competition held in secret every five years. In the 1988 film, we see Jean Claude Van Damme playing Frank Du, triumphing <laughs> over a ruthless. <laughs> Fighter named Chong Li, portrayed by then 50-year-old Bolo Yun, uh, stated in the November 1980 Black Belt magazine interview titled Kumite, a learning experience. The real Frank Du did, in fact, attend and win the 1975 Kumite, winning as a heavyweight. His experience became the inspiration for the on-screen events, the 1988 movie Bloodsport. However, according to Frank's accounts, the Kumite was held in 
Nassau, Bahamas in 1975, not in Hong Kong, like we see in the film. Uh, controversy has arisen around Du's own past and his stories of the Kumite. And our own correspondent, Frank, has named numerous organizations as acknowledging the existence of the Kumite, including the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame, the Alliance, Black Dragon Frank Society, Shinema Jitsu, Yokohama, Japan, Golden Globe, International Martial Arts Hall of Fame, and Imperial, among others. Um, Black Belt Magazine, 1980s issue states the following. The truth is that a full contact Kumite event is indeed held at a private location once every five years. The event is sponsored by the International Fighting Arts Association, IFAA, which, although not a publicly seeking organization, is far from secret. Considering that the Kumite took place nearly two decades before it emerged on the internet, couples with the IFA desire to remain out of the public eye, it's not hard to understand why. An online search for the IFA. Get to where he bought the trophy. I'm trying. I'm trying to trying to find his story unravels somewhere. Good radio. No, no, it is because I mean Frank Dew. He still goes around and is very. I mean, I'd go talk to him. Um, Supposedly, the trophy. When you get to this part. the the like uh, I'll buy ring girl medals and the trophy guy and me we 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 get along. Um, supposedly he bought the trophy that he says he won at the Kumite, and then um, somebody debunked his story, even though he claims still that it happened and that he went over there and won the Kumite. Um. Actually, what I'm reading here, it actually says that he did win the trophy. Um, oh, okay. He did win the 1975 tournament in the Bahamas, but he ordered a trophy to go along with it. Okay. So he did win the 1975 Kumite, but there was no trophy for it. So he bought a trophy signifying his win of the 1975 uh, Kumite. Um, but, but damn! Nowadays, Kumite would have a sponsor. It'd be on UFC Fight Pass. What else? <laughs> Monster Energy presents Kumite. But see, if they're trying to keep it secret, then no. I, it's really tough to have secrets. Oh, actually, um, oh god, what the hell is the name of that movie? I can't now. I can't think of it. it it's similar to like Bloodsport. But it, uh, I think it was like called the Quest or something like that. Where Who it was, was it? which martial arts? I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But it was kind of similar, similar to that. Where it was, um, um, uh, in order to participate in this like tournament, like it was, you had to have this medal, and it was passed on from father to son, and blah blah blah. And then there was this kid, and he was an orphan. And it turns out he was a long lost son of some martial arts champion or something like that from this. Thing. I got. I got. Hold on. Because Bruce look it Lee up. got into a fight, an organized fight with somebody, and they they say that the accounts on the movie part of that is is off and stuff like that. Hollywood will change stuff. By the way, oh, it was Van Dam. Van Dam. It, it was Van Dam. He was probably in every eighties uh, bad movie. <laughs> probably the, wor- the worst is when he played his own twin brother. What was oh, that yeah. one? Uh, double, double Impact. Double, oh, yeah. my double God. Impact. Was that horrible? Yeah. Double Impact. One played the suave guy, the other the rough guy. Oh, my God. God bless Van Damme, though. I, I, You know what? Sometimes I think about 
the stuff I rip on now, but I probably wouldn't have been interested in MMA and, and boxing if it wasn't for these people. So thank you, Van Dam. even though I rip on you now. Uh, you should still kick my ass, so that's all that matters. Um, I watched really quickly, and we'll get off the movie subject. It's I, I tell you, Jimmy, well, wasn't the, I am I very whatever tough on movies. Mm-hmm. I only give a four-star because I rate I, – it's what I do in journalism. So I rate movies. Mm-hmm. There's only been uh, four movies in the last few years that have gotten my four-star award. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I also gave a four-star. Okay. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street and uh, Birdman. I, I did really enjoy that, uh, the way it was liked, single take. You liked Founder too, the Founder. Yeah, that was a four-star though. Okay. But, so th- that's my four-star award. It's actually it, on my Netflix queue right, right. now. In – the opposite. I'm talking <laughs> your Razzies, right? My Razzies. Uh, a couple have now appeared on the the house that October built, and it's an indie. Don't go out and find it, which we did, and it was horrible. Um, the Circle with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson. First off, Emma Watson's a terrible actress. Second off, uh, I'm sorry, what? Emma Watson's a terrible actress. I'm sorry, bite your tongue. No, she's horrible. Bite your tongue. Okay, watch the circle and tell me she's good. I've I've seen the circle. De- okay, worst movie I've ever seen. Then you didn't understand it. No, I understood it. And then you didn't understand it. No, I understood it. And then you didn't understand it. No, I understood it. it was so bad. It was so how many how many how many layers were there in the movie? Oh, there's tons. You got the 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 founder guy who's anti the the two people that took his idea and ran with it. You have the story of privacy. You have. Uh, the uh, you know obviously he's either trying to be Steve, uh, Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs um, or Dan Gilbert. Oh yeah, that dude. Let's be honest. Some of the way that, that those so people quicken. were working, you're thinking quicken, right? Um, there there is a lot of layers of it, but at the end, you 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 run into the fact that you know she's going to eventually turn against the circle people and you're waiting for it and she's so pro circle so pro circle then her friend dies i'm not i won't ruin it for people it's a terrible movie don't see it and then at the end she has a moment on the stage where she turns it on the founders and the movie ends and the whole movie i was just like it just was bad storytelling now your turn but see, it wasn't bad storytelling because what the movie depicted was how easily, easily you are brainwashed by these companies. Mm-hmm. Quicken, places like that. Like you go – you literally are required to go to these mantra-type meetings and they literally brainwash you. But that's just it. I mean she seemed like a smart girl. I didn't even make it through the whole movie. She seemed like a smart girl. <laughs> and then these two crazies – Come up to her and they start talking to her about, oh my gosh, everything is connected. Everything is in the circle. Your social network. Why haven't you been doing this? Where, headed that where have you been? You left here at eleven twenty nine and you were gone until Monday. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. And right there, I would have been like, peace out. I'm gone. I don't know. But but see, no, because sometimes you are so desperate to have a job. That you will, uh, yeah, you know that this company is evil. Yeah, you know. And so what you do, you're like, but I'm not going to get sucked in. They gave her I mom can... and dad health care. Right. And... Not then. It hadn't happened yet. Oh, I know. Well, what I'm saying is is sometimes you, you think that your mind is strong enough that 
you'll you'll never get brainwashed by these people, but it happens. It happens. These places, Quicken Loans, places like that, they're cults. Unless, unless they're Quicken literally wants to sponsor cults. No, I don't. <laughs> honestly, I don't. It's, if Quicken Loans wanted to sponsor us, I would say, you know what? Either no, or I'm I'm walking away. They're evil. Uh. These places are evil. They really are. They are cults. They are modern day cults. They are no different. They are no different than a, a cult like Scientology. Now, now the funny thing is the uh, the campus was laid out like either Facebook or Apple. I was Google. It okay, was, or Google, yeah, Google yeah. does campus. It too, was actually right. uh, modeled after the Google campus. Okay, so yeah, yeah. it was googly. There it is a there that. is a race. Google essence. Um, let's take. <laughs> I quick, love that movie. Let's take Quicken out of it because it's a yeah, mortgage yeah. company. But there is a race between. Can we agree? There's a race between Apple, Facebook, and Google to get to that point where the circle is, where everything is. It's you know, she keeps connected. suggesting ideas, and they're like, "That's great." You know, it's another way to get people to vote online. You know, mm-hmm. now we can change elections, mm-hmm. make it illegal not to vote, all this stupid stuff. I do believe those three are racing towards everything's I think done App- through one portal. Honestly, I think Apple would be okay with that. I don't think Google. Um, I don't Facebook, I don't it's kind of a kind of a um, it, it, Google Facebook's the wild card. I could see going either way, but Apple's evil. Mm. Apple would definitely want to control everything. Google, not so much. They're much more of the independent, you know, keep your identity, you know, kind of thing like that. But no, Apple, 100% evil. Mm-hmm. 100% wants to be the circle. I walked away from the movie scene try, wanting to stay off the grid. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's well, the only thing you but do. See, but that's, that's, an, that's another thing is that movie made you like you walk out of the movie theater you stop watching the movie the first thing you do is you close your laptop you flip over your cell phone like because you know like this is happening whether you know it or not this is happening well that's the thing i told him i said the premise of the movie was a good premise but the storyline the the way they took it could have been done ton times better but see you're gonna loot like for you and me and you know us right here that's f- having more depth having it be better quote unquote would have worked for us but you have to basically play the lowest common denominator and the average american john q public or whatever if you got more complex than that wouldn't understand it no, see, i don't i don't agree i think i 100 percent agree have you seen trump supporters yeah but they're i mean we look at how well like inception did and inception is mind-blowing I, but see inception did well because it had pretty moving things that these idiots could stare at i and didn't go, like it Ooh, that was kind of cool but i'm like saying it. i like everything did. christopher yeah. nolan does Right. I didn't like How that. are you not like Inception? I don't. I like everything else. Oh, my does. God, Brad. Can I say this really quickly? And that seems right up his level, yeah. too. I'll say this really quickly. I got some big people listening tonight. I hate that my job makes me have to be on social media because I write for boxing. There's times where I wish. You could drop off the grid. But I can't. But you can't, right? That's that's, how, that's, that was how, like, Ring like Girls a, started yeah. was through social media. Yeah. Yeah, so I I hate that I have to have a social media presence to keep the pulse on boxing in the MMA mm-hmm. because it, you you couldn't be a journalist nowadays without it. No, absolutely not. No. So like the the days of being 
uh, Joe Falls and uh, those type of reporters that don't know what the internet is, that those days are done. So when I, I do, a, I had a I had a guest today come up to me and ask me, "Do you guys have newspapers?" I said, "No, we've actually went to a program where." You have to go online and download this app. Which sucks, dude. I like to, newspapers. And that's what I said to her. I said, we only get newspapers on Sundays. And I said, uh, to be honest with you. still get newspapers? But, oh, quaint. But. Well, <laughs> the th- thing is, is that I, I I, I'm the old school. Like, I want I the team. She even said, she goes, it's different if you have it actually in your hand. Really quickly before he goes on What's on Tap. I, I do know, though, when I do walk away from this job and who knows whatever year, whatever year it is that I get to. Um, 1932. Exactly. I will drop off the social media presence. You'll have to. By that point in time, you won't be able to. Oh, yeah, you oh, will. He'll no. find talking a way. circle on me. He's no, talking no, no. circle. By that point in time, you won't be able to because everybody will have been chipped and all your social media, everything will actually be integrated Drink into this. our own. All of it. It's already it's bad enough the- you can't take the battery off of phones. Yes. Like, I mean, it's, well, it's, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Um, no, it, by that point in time, everybody's going to have like bionic things implanted. Yeah, and, yeah that's oh. how that's how we're going to have Thanks. to connect in the future. What was the other? Oh, Screw really that. quickly before you do on what's on tap? Well, hold on, keep talking. Oh, my my other third rate Razzie is oh, yeah. uh, wet hot one. American Wet Summer? That's horrible. Oh, my God. That is the, <laughs> so terrible. It's, but that's the point of it. Laugh. Oh my, I never laugh. I have watched every iteration. I've watched White Hot, or Red, Wet Hot American Summer, the the 10 years before, the 10 years after. <laughs> oh, there was it's, the before one, too? Yeah, there's the prequel, and now they it's well, on Netflix. I saw that they were coming out with the one 10 years later, so yeah. I... I I had seen yeah, it. First he likes cheesy what, crap it was movies. Wet Hot American Summer first day at camp. Well, so I went and I, I bought it for like five bucks like yeah, two yeah. years ago. I finally got him to watch yeah. it. And five we're bucks like, too much. it's. Yeah. But that's the whole point it's is terrible. it's supposed to be – because what it is is it's It's so a, terrible that they all came back except Bradley Cooper. No, he did come back. Not in the 10 years later. And not in the 10 years later, but he did come back in the first day of camp. Oh, wow. He didn't come back in the 10 years later because he's filming a movie right now and they couldn't get him to do it. All the all he the actors, better things to do. Well, no. All the actors, like, all the actors that were in it, like, wanted to come back, but some of them had other commitments. Why? It's so bad. Because it's, because it's... It's like movie 49. Yeah, exactly. It's Terrible. so bad, it's good. There, yeah, I know. It's I so mean, bad, it's good, and it no. makes fun. It poking fun at all those stupid 80 camp type, you know, movies. No, you know, it was two hours that I'll and, never get back of my life. Yeah, but, but it went a Brad Razzie. Anyways, right. no, I I can uh, it, I will up there with I Zana will Don't? agree that it's bad, but I like it because it's so bad. Which uh, one? Up there with Xana Don't. Oh, Xanadu? Yeah, Xanadu. Xanadu, that's, is, a bad that's pretty. That I'll agree with you on that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's also a That's bad. That's an awesome movie. It's terrible. Uh, can you bring the slider up? Yep. All right. All right, so we're going to go to What's on Tap, uh, sponsored by Falling Down Beer Company. Hopefully my uh, laptop um, thing works because it's been having issues. And why is it just saying? There it goes. All right. Uh, not a whole lot going on in uh, the boxing world this week. Um, I did want to. 
we miss him. And uh, Marv's favorite boxer is TBA. Uh, so I actually picked a uh, fights every week. Uh, yeah, I actually picked a, uh, a card uh, where he's fighting quite a quite a bit. So on August twelfth at Fallon uh, in Nevada, we have Oscar Oscar Vaquez versus Javier Gallo. Time around for the flyweights. We then have Gabriel Flores Jr. versus TBA, Diego Alonso, TBA, Pedro Moreno versus TBA, Santos Vaquez versus TBA, and Alec McGee versus TBA. So TBA will be quite busy that night. Uh, also on August 5th at Tokyo, um, it's going to be on Sports Espanol, uh, but you can also see it on, uh, I believe, uh, ESPN on an August 19th tape delay. Uh, Shinzuki ya- uh, Yamaka versus Luis Neri, 12 rounds for Yamanaka's WBC bantamweight title. Uh, moving on to... Uh, MMA, August 8th, uh, tonight, we have Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, uh, episode number five. On August 11th, I only picked this one because you got to hear the name that's fighting. August 11th, 2017, CES MMA 45, the Twin River Casino, Lincoln, Rhode Island, United States, we have the Gooch versus uh, Kutanho. But I just, what, what, are the, what kind of a name is Gooch? I mean, seriously, it's like, hey, yo, hey, I'm getting in the ring here. Hey, whoa, whoa, hey. All right. Uh, and then also next Tuesday, August 15th, we have Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, episode number six. And that's What's on Tap, sponsored by Falling Down Beer Company. Are we continuing? Oh, yeah. We're going on. By the way, I just saw, uh, speaking of social hey, media. Hey, it's the gooch. Hey, hey, whoa, hey. Gooch. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting in the hey. ring here. Hey, hey, yo. <laughs> I just saw a really good quote. Um, I think photos are way overshopped, photoshopped and everything like that. Uh, this quote's actually pretty good. Uh, Ken Rockwell said, photography is the power of observation, not the application of technology. Very good quote. <laughs> you know, you still got to get the angles and everything. But anyways, so we were talking before we went on break and went on a huge uh, movie tirade about uh, some, some people out there were saying Klitschko was a top 10 heavyweight of all time. So I decided with the help of a story by Tyson Bruce on uh, the Boxing Insider to just disprove that theory really quick. I'm just going to throw out names really quickly that would be ahead of Klitschko. This according according to Tyson Bruce, which I totally agree. Muhammad Ali, obviously, way Mm -hmm. ahead. uh, 56 wins, 5 losses, 37 KOs. Uh, one over Joe Frazier twice, uh, Sonny Liston twice, uh, uh, Floyd Patterson, and Ken Norton twice. Uh, Joe Lewis, uh, Larry Holmes, 69-6 uh, and 44 KOs. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson, who at the time in the country to be a black champion, um, you know, it was a turbulent time in the history of our nation. 80 wins, 13 losses, 12, uh, I guess, 12 draws, 14 no contests, and 45 uh, knockouts. Uh, George Foreman, 76, 5, and 68 KOs. Uh, Lennox Lewis would even get ahead of Vladimir Klitschko. 41 wins, 2 losses, and 1. Now, now, mind you, Lewis is not in the top 10. We're just throwing names out there. Jack Dempsey, 65, 6. 
an 11 with 51 knockouts and one no contest. Evander Holyfield, 44 wins, 10 losses, 2 draws, 29 in one contest. Joe Frazier, 32 wins, 4 losses, 1 draw, 27 knockouts. And then the one that uh, my partner in crime when I'm doing fight news, uh, Bob Ryder, said uh, we were talking really quickly. Rocky Marciano. He said wouldn't be in the top uh, top ten, but would be put ahead of uh, Klitschko. Forty nine wins, zero losses, uh, zero uh, draws, and forty three. Are you thinking? Uh, you're thinking uh, going to America? Yeah, going America. every time somebody got to bring up boxing. Yeah, right. White guys got to bring up Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano was good, but you know Muhammad Ali. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So the, I gave you ten names that would be ahead of Klitschko, thus proving that he wouldn't be in the top ten. <clears throat> and as much as we like Mike Tyson, um, because of how he would probably, if I was to list everybody out. He would be in the 20s at least, maybe even the upper 30s. And my, everyone thinks Mike Tyson was a great uh, champion, but when he, when he came back and, and it was time to, to beat people that were A-list, he lost twice to Vander Holyfield, bit off his ear in the second one. And uh, <laughs> Lennox nom, Lewis nom, nom. Was, a, was a debacle. Yeah. And so you know he would probably fall in the 20s. But Klitschko would be ahead of Mike Tyson. So – you're looking at Klitschko following somewhere. Oh, he would be. It's no, no, no. I'm mean, in uh, there. Yeah. Now. But, you, but see, you also can't. Yes, you can look at their records, but you also have to look at who they fought. Because you can't say, oh, well, you got a guy that, you know, fought, you know, won all these things and blah, blah, blah and knockouts. If he didn't fight any worthy opponents, then then record doesn't really mean a whole lot. I agree. Okay. I totally totally agree on that. Um, so, Shields brought a, an interesting topic. Uh, she's claiming to be the greatest woman of all time already. She's got some more fights out there before I will give her credit of of that. And I'm sure there's some people out there that probably disagree with that. But if if you say the greatest boxer of all time, everyone immediately goes to Muhammad Ali. I would say 85 percent. Of boxing fans out there think Muhammad Ali is, which brought me to this topic of I think somebody – and personally, my greatest of all time is Joe Lewis. The more I learn about the guy, the the more I realize that he was a tremendous champion. So I am going to give you some Joe Lewis stats, Jimmy. And I'm going to give you some Muhammad Ali stats, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what they meant. So let's start about Ali's social and historical impact, because I think that has to weigh when you're saying the greatest of all time. Um, obviously stood up for his belief in the Vietnam War. Uh, lost four years of his fighting career because of the belief. And you have to factor that in as the greatest of all time. So he lost four years of his prime. Uh, came back and Joe Frazier was champion as we did the great undercard skit back in our first year of, of recapping the Frazier versus Ali fights. Uh, beat Joe Frazier twice and had uh, a, a tremendous comeback 
after his four fights uh, or four years of being banned from boxing. And so his social impact was one of protest, one of against the war. And that's not uncommon. The Vietnam War was not a popular war. There was um, – in, in regards – besides Woodstock and stuff, there was protests everywhere. But because Muhammad Ali was using religious rights not to fight, he was barred from boxing. So we lose four years of his career there. He finished 56-5 in uh, zero with 37 knockouts. Now, Joe Lewis, on the other hand, social and historical impact. Joe Lewis was uh, born in 1914. And during, uh, you know, at, at that time, what was going on with Germany was basically a couple world wars and boxing was at an unbelievable height. I'm talking where Muhammad Ali selling out Madison Square Gardens. These guys could sell out uh, soccer fields, football fields, and stuff like that. But Joe Lewis's impact was uh, really quickly, and I want to get it correct because Jimmy, having served, will get get mad if I get it wrong because I'm sure he wants to know. Man, I just had it too. Hold on. Do 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 do. So, Jimmy. Yeah, so, Jimmy. Good radio, right? I just had it. What are you looking for? Do-do-do-do. Okay. World War II. Lewis fought a charity bout for the Navy Relief Society against his former opponent, Buddy Bear, on January 9th, 1942, which raised 47000 for the fund. The next day, he volunteered to enlist as a private in the United States Army at Camp Umpton in Long Island. Newsreel cameras recorded his induction, including a stage scene in which a soldier clerk asked, what's your occupation, to which Lewis replied, fighting and let us, let us at them Japs. Um, another military charity bout on March 27, 1942, against another former opponent, uh, Abe Simon, Netted thirty six grand before the fight. Lewis had uh, spoken at a relief dinner, saying of the war effort, "We'll win because we're on God's side." The media widely reported the comment, investigating a surge of popularity for Lewis. Slowly, the press began to eliminate its stereotypical racial references when covering Lewis. Instead, treating him as an unqualified uh, unqualified sports hero. Despite the public relations boom. Lewis' charitable fights proved financially costly. Although he saw none of the roughly 90000 raised by these and other charitable fights, the IRS later credited these amounts as taxable income paid to Lewis. After the war, the IRS pursued the issue. Um, for basic training, Lewis was assigned to the Calvary Unit in Fort Riley, Kansas. The assignment was at the suggestion of his friend and lawyer, uh, Truman Gibson, who knew of Lewis's love for horsemanship. Uh, basically, let's see how Lewis went on a celebrity tour with other notables, including fellow boxer Sugar Ray Robinson. He traveled more than 35,000 
kilometers, which is 21,000 miles, and staged 96 boxing uh, exhibitions before 2 million soldiers. In England, 1944, he was reported to have enlisted as a player for the Liverpool Football Club as a publicity stunt. In addition to his travels, Lewis was also the focus of media recruitment campaign, encouraging African-American men to enlist in the armed services, despite the military's racial segregation. When he was asked about his decision to enter the uh, racially segregated U.S. Army, his explanation was simple. Lots of things wrong with America, but Hitler ain't going to fix them. In 1943, Lewis made an appearance in the wartime Hollywood musical, This Is My Army, directed by uh, Michael Curtis. He appeared as himself in the musical number, The Well-Dressed Man in Harlem, which emphasizes the importance of American, uh, African-American soldiers and promoted their enlistment. Lewis' celebrity power was not, however, met, merely directed towards African-Americans. In famous wartime recruitment slogans, he echoed his prior commitments of 1942. We'll win because God's on our side. Uh, The publicity stunt made Lewis widely popular stateside, even outside the world of sport. Never had white Americans embraced a black man as their representative to the world. Although Lewis never saw combat, his military service saw challenges of its own. During his travels, he often experienced blatant racism on one occasion, a military policeman ordered Lewis and Ray Robinson to move their seats to a bench in the rear of the Alabama Army Camp bus depot. We ain't moving, said Lewis. The military police tried to arrest him, but Lewis forcefully argued the pair out of the situation. In another incident, he allegedly had to resort to bribery to persuade a commanding officer to drop charges against Jackie Robinson for punching the captain for calling him a name. Lewis will eventually, uh, was eventually promoted to the rank of technical sergeant on uh, April 9, 1945. On September 23 of the same year, he was awarded the Legion of Merit, a military decoration rarely awarded to enlisted soldiers, for incalculable contribution to the general morale. Receipt of the honor qualified him for immediate release from military service on October 1, uh, 1945. So there we have Joe Lewis's... Um, Social and historical impact uh, in regards to the military. Uh, Jimmy, as, as serving, I did not serve. Pretty, pretty noble. I mean, he, you know, there's no way he sees combat because he's Joe Lewis, but he enlists um, as many people did in World War II. DiMaggio, Ted Williams, and stuff. Well, a lot of those people actually did go and fight. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of reminds me of Captain America before, uh, and I know that's fiction, but before he decides that I'm not doing these publicity stunts. But those were popular. Yeah. Oh to, no, they were to, huge. The war to drive the was. Morale. Yeah, the war drive was a, a thing. Completely. I mean, you needed people like that to do the war drives, and yeah, he didn't see combat, but you know, that didn't mean that he wasn't going into. It wasn't like he wasn't going into dangerous situations. I mean, no, he didn't have to fight, but where they were going at any point in time, you know, a German thing could fly over and bomb them. The Germans could try to overrun them. I mean, they weren't staying in like, you know, way back places. They were getting closer to the front lines. I mean, not the front lines themselves, but they were, you know, they were up there. And yeah. You know, if you're a celebrity, if you have um, the power to, uh, you know, do stuff like that, I mean, that's kind of, you know, kind of your thing. And there's there's celebrities all over, you know, since 
media has been so big and celebrities have been so big, but ever since World War II, there's been, you know, people that have, you know, decided that, you know what, I'm going to join up. You know, Elvis. Elvis joined during, I believe, there was the Very Korean popular. War. Yeah, mm-hmm. during the Korean War. There was, I thought it was Vietnam. Was it Vietnam? No, no, I think oh, it was, it was Korean War, probably. yeah. Um, you know, Elvis, and or it might have been Vietnam. I don't know the very beginning or whatever, but you know, and there's even now there's, you know, football players, there's other people that, you know, sign up and, and go off and they fight, you know, because that's kind of what you do if you can. Now I, I gave Joe Lewis a lot more attention, uh, than reading Muhammad Ali, because I think Muhammad Ali's story is much better known. Better about, known right? Yeah. Um, I have that even. So a, as we're judging, as we're judging them, I see Muhammad Ali's side and I see Joe Lewis' side as being equally important. What Muhammad Ali did in the 70s or, or the late 60s and what uh, Joe Lewis did at that time, that I have even for the greatest. So we have to move to a different category. Where do you have that? See, I don't – I know what he says and I know what – you know. And he didn't just so that, you know, but I honestly, I can't shake the feeling that Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay decided to all of a sudden find this different religion because he didn't want to go fight in a war. Well, no, I believe he, I believe he had the religion and that, that was, you know, his protest, the religious belief. I believe he had that. I, 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 the, but, I mean, the, the suspicion that... The the timing is suspicious. We'll, right. just, we'll just say that. Um, timing is suspicious. Now, I'm not going to say that. I I still I I, I got to give it a little bit more to 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 Lewis only for the fact that um, he. Raise, he, raise money he, and still had to pay taxes. Exactly. Well, not only that, <laughs> raise money still had to pay tax. Well, I think they eventually dropped it because they they realized it was terrible donations. But raise money had to pay taxes on it. it came after taxes on it. But he was also such a symbol for not only you know people of African American descent, even though the racism and all stuff like that. But you know people that weren't African American. He still drove that whole thing. So, right. you know, I, I I don't... For for technical purposes, it was in 1966, Muhammad Ali, two years after winning the heavyweight title, Ali Furger, uh, uh, by refusing to be drafted in the U.S. military, citing his religious belief in opposition to the American involvement in the Vietnam War, he was eventually arrested, found guilty of draft evasion, charges, and stripped of his boxing titles. He successfully appealed the decision to the United States Supreme Court, which overturned his conviction in 1971. By that time, he had not fought for nearly four years and thereby lost a period of peak performance as an athlete. Ali's actions as a conscientious objector to the war made him an icon for a larger counterculture generation. So I have well, him even. Let me ask where where you do you have him? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, the fights that uh, Lewis did as part of charity during the war, do they count towards his record? Or did that no, not no, count? No, 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 no. Then I give Lewis. Okay. I give Lewis because he still, he was still fighting. He was still getting beat up. He was still, you know, uh, uh, boxing and all that kind of stuff like that. And but none of those counted. So yeah, Ali lost four years, but Lewis lost two. 
Huh? I think he lost two. But he lost a couple. We'll say yeah. two to three. But he lost two to three, and he was still getting beat up during that whole point in time where maybe the 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 damage to Ali wasn't as extensive. Ali's career might not have lasted as long if he was able to fight for those four years. Yep. All right. So in the case for Muhammad Ali as the greatest of all time, uh, we just covered uh, social and uh, historical impact. We're now moving along into stats. We're talking in regards to greatest boxer of all time. Muhammad Ali is regarded uh, – this comes from Wikipedia, by the way. Ali is regarded as one of the leading heavyweight boxers of the 20th century. He remains the only three-time lineal heavyweight champion, having won the title in 1964, 1974, and 1978. Between February 25th and September 19th in 1964, Ali reigned as the undisputed heavyweight champion. He was the only boxer to be named the Ring Magazine Fighter of the Year six times. He was ranked as the greatest athlete of the 20th century by the Sports Illustrated, the sports personality of the century by BBC, and the third greatest athlete of the 20th century by ESPN Sports Center. Nicknamed the greatest, he was involved in several historical boxing matches, Notable among those were the first Liston fight, the fight of the century, Super Fight 2, the Thrilla in Manila versus his rival Joe Frazier, and the Rumble in the Jungle versus George Foreman. At a time when most fighters let their managers do the talking, Ali thrived in and indeed carved the spotlight, where he was often provocative and outlandish. He was known for trash talking, often freestyled with rhyme schemes and spoken word poetry. Both for his trash talking and boxing and his poetry for his activism, anticipating elements of rap and hip-hop music. As a musician, Ali recorded two spoken word albums in rhythm, blues, and song. He received two Grammy Award nominations as an actor. He performed in several films and a Broadway play. Additionally, Ali wrote two autobiographies, one during and one after his boxing career. Um, so we went through some of the greatest fights of all time, Thrill in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle. And now we move over to Joe Lewis, who had a long career, but we're just going to skip to what was probably the the defining moments of Joe Lewis's career. Okay. So Joe Lewis fought, as we said, during uh, the time when the Nazi regime was taking over Germany. Uh, he had a rival – from Germany named uh, Max uh, Max Schemling. Mm-hmm. And basically what you had here was uh, – and I'm looking for it really quick. Um, Lewis first uh, Schemling uh, won. By this time, Lewis was ranked the number one contender in the heavyweight division and had won the Associated Press Athlete of the Year Award for 1935. What was considered to be his final tune-up bout for an eventual title shot was scheduled for 1936 against Matt Schimling. Uh, considered a threat to Lewis, then with a professional record of 27-0, Schimling had won his title on a technicality with Jack uh, Sharkley, was disqualified after giving Schimling a low blow in 1930. Schimling was also 30 years old at the time when Lewis, uh, with the Lewis bout and allegedly passed his prime. Lewis' training retreat was located in Lakewood, New Jersey, where he was able to practice a game of golf, which would later become a lifelong passion. Noted entertainer Ed Sullivan had initially sparked Lewis's interest in the sport by giving him a blah, 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 blah. But Lewis spent a significant time on the golf course rather than training for the match. 
Uh, conversely, Shemling, preparing initially for the bout, he had thoroughly studied Lewis's style and believed he had found a weakness. By exploiting, uh, exploiting Lewis's habit of dropping his left hand low after a jab, Shemling handed Lewis his first professional loss by knocking him out in round 12 at Yankee Stadium on June 19, uh, 1936. So we fast forward to Lewis first, uh, Shemling two. Uh, the rematch between Lewis and Shimling would be one of the most uh, famous boxing matches of all time and is remembered as one of the major sports events of the 20th century. Following his defeat of uh, Lewis in 1936, Shimling had become a national her- hero in um, – uh, Germany. So, following when he beat uh, Lewis, mm-hmm. Schimmling's victory over an African American was touted by Nazi Nazi officials as proof of their doctrine of super, uh, superiority. With when the rematch was scheduled, Lewis retreated to his boxing camp in New Jersey and trained um, for the fight. A few weeks before the bout, Lewis visited the White House, where President Franklin D. Roosevelt told him, "Joe, we need your muscles like yours to beat Germany." Lewis later admitted, I knew I had to get Shemling good. I had my own personal reasons, and the whole damn country was dependent on me. When Shemling arrived in New York City in June 1938 for the rematch, he was accompanied by Nazi Party publicists who issued statements that a black man could not defeat Shemling and that Shemling won. His prize money would be used to build tanks in Germany. Shemling's hotel was picketed by anti-Nazi protesters in the days before the fight. On the night of June 22, 1938, Lewis for Shemling met for the second time in the boxing ring. The fight was held in Yankee Stadium before a crowd of 70,043. It was broadcast by radio by radio to millions of listeners before the world, with radio announcers reporting the fight in English, Germany, uh, sorry, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. Before the bout, Shemling weighed in at 900, uh, 193 pounds. Lewis weighed in at 198 and three-fourths pounds. The fight lasted two minutes and four seconds. Lewis battered Shemling with a series of swift attacks, forcing him against the ropes and giving him a paralyzing body blow. Shemling later claimed it was an illegal kidney punch. Shemling was uh, knocked down three times and only managed to throw two punches in the entire bout. On the third knockdown, Shemling's trainer threw in the towel and referee Arthur Donovan stopped the fight. So what you had here... um, What year was that? Uh, hold on. Do, 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 1938, June 22nd. Okay. So, <clears throat> in regards to that, I give the edge to Joe Lewis. He had a whole country, even though Shemling was past his prime. Yeah. As, because he was 30 yeah. years old. And back then, fighters, uh, Bob Ryder pointed this out to me because he's much more of a boxing historian than I am, that fighters didn't get the longevity they had because they fought so often mm-hmm. back then. So you had Shimling at um, uh, 30 uh, fight the first time. So he was much older. But what it meant to the country, I mean, you had the president invite you in and say that we need your muscle. I give the edge to Joe, Joe yeah. Lewis. Well, you also got to remember that two years earlier, Germany was embarrassed when a African-American, Jesse Owens, beat them at the track and field. So, I mean, you're coming off of that. Germany is touting all this Nazi propaganda about they're the greatest race or whatever, and they're going to prove it by, you know, defeating the world at the Olympics. And then, boom, they get, it, they get you know, embarrassed. So then a couple years later... You're coming off of of that, and you got Lewis, 
who represents, you know, America versus uh, Schelling, who's, you know, basically representing Nazi Germany. And Lewis just embarrasses him. So, I mean, yeah, obviously you got to give it to Lewis on that one. You know, that would be like if Ali fought like Ho Chi Minh. Yep. I mean, honestly, I mean, maybe not Ho Chi Minh, but, you know, some guy from Vietnam, like right before the Vietnam War like started or whatever, and there's this big rise to power or um, or no, actually, you know, I take that back. That would be like if Ali fought some big, uh, well-known, not well-known, but well-known in his country, communist Russian in the 60s and 70s and was able to just absolutely embarrass him. It would be the same type of thing. Now think about this, and because there's no way to figure out these metrics, um, there's absolutely no way. But think about this, Jimmy, really quick. As big as Ali Frazier was when he comes back, right? Yep. We, knew, we know that movie theater sold the tickets. Yep. We know that the, the place was sold out. We know that it was very popular, dealing with TV. Right. How many people lived back when he fought uh, Max the second time? Didn't listen to it on radio because of the Nobody. political implications. Nobody. Everybody probably Everybody. Had to. I'm, I'm talking, talking you, you probably grabbed your kids and brought them in. You, 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 uh, the, you, the kids, people that didn't have a radio went to their church. People that, you know, yeah. I mean, commu- you know, community centers, you, you went over to an extra neighbors. I mean, you had everybody, everybody was listening. And not only everybody in America, but everybody in Germany was also listening to the radio at the exact same time. And I mean, yeah, it just you again, like you said, you can't measure those metrics. But I, I would guarantee you, more people were listening to the events of the Lewis Shibling Shibling boxing match than were listening to or watching the Ali versus Frazier, right. And uh, last but not least, what puts it over for Joe Lewis in Tyson Bruce agrees from Boxing Insider. 25 title defenses by Joe Lewis, a record that will probably never be broken. Um, That means 25 times he went in with the title, 25 times the title left with him. Um, You know, we've seen the number 20, but we've never seen 25, which puts him over the edge for me for Joe Lewis as being the greatest of all time. I Um, agree. And can I say this also? I don't know. Box, can you? No, 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 no. And th- I think this is important. As big as Ali was and how everyone knew Muhammad Ali, and it, it, this is nothing he can control, but football has now entered the picture. Uh, and, and by football, I mean uh, the, the NFL. No. Oh, okay, the NFL, okay. Um, baseball was there for both, but boxing back in the 30s, was bigger than it was in the seventies. Yep, it it was it was considered mainstream sport. Oh yeah, it was baseball and boxing. Mm-hmm. Sure, you had football, you had colleges and stuff like that, but boxing at that time was on a much bigger stage than mm-hmm. it was in the seventies. Even though it was big in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, the only thing I can say about the twenty-five title defenses pro Ali was that that is considered the seventies the greatest era of heavyweight. Uh, boxing, but I still think the twenty-five title defenses. Even though some of the people that Joe Lewis fought were bums, um, 
is is an <laughs> impressive record. No, no, I mean it, he's it, a bum, Joe. He's people, a bum. People admit it. They they, yeah. they called it like bum yeah. of the month club. Yeah. But um, so I will go on record as saying Joe Lewis is the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali was the greatest entertainer of all time. I'd because agree with that. he his press conferences and everything like this. Now the cool thing is Floyd Mayweather likes to throw his name out there as as even being in this picture. He's not even he's, on the same block as Joe top, Lewis and Muhammad. Yeah, he Ali. might be top fifty, maybe one of the greatest defensive fighters of all time. But yes. let's be honest, he's no Ali or no. he's no Joe Lewis. No, and so there we present. An interesting case. If you're following the show, uh, you know, say what you what you think on Facebook.com backslash Radio Undercard because it, it, it's assumed that Muhammad Ali, um, he called himself the greatest, but in in my world, I think Joe Lewis was the greatest. Uh, I've presented, I think, equal evidence. But if anybody else wants to throw out opinions out there, please do. This is a cool thing about boxing. We get to compare people from different eras and see what, you know, that's the best part about boxing. These are all hypotheticals. There's no way to know. Um, if you, you want some stats, though, really quickly, if they were to go uh, round for round, uh, Joe Lewis had a 76 inch reach and he stood six foot two. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, let's see what he was finally at. He was six foot three with a seventy-eight rent, uh, seventy-eight inch reach, so a two-inch reach advantage. Um, total fights were sixty-one for Muhammad Ali, uh, sixty-nine fights for Joe Lewis. Uh, wins were fifty-six for Ali. Wins were sixty-six for Joe Lewis. Wins by knockout fifty-two for Joe Lewis. Wins by knockout thirty-seven for Ali. Losses five, uh, losses three for Joe uh, Joe Lewis. Um, so there you go. We're on record. I'm on record. I think Jimmy agrees with me. Joe I Lewis is the greatest of all time. I 100. Which agree brings with you. us Detroit to what are you going to do for Joe Lewis? Sure, sure we have uh, the fist statue. Sure, we have the glove. From the the fight where we were talking about Lewis and uh, Shimling, it's in the, a historical museum, right? No, no, it's in uh, Cobo Hall. It's in a glass encase. There's in something gold. in the historical museum too, though. And uh, there is a statue of Joe Lewis actually in Cobo Hall, but we are losing the the Joe Lewis Arena, and I do encourage Detroit to figure out another way to honor Joe Lewis, um, because he's greatest of all time. There we go. Uh, stick around if you're waiting for uh, the Chris Cyborg um, roundtable with uh, Christina Hammer. We're going to play that probably at nine because uh, really it's just going to be Rochelle holding the mic up. Um, but we're going to go to our last break, and me and Jimmy are going to close this out, and that'll probably go till about the nine thirty mark, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the Undercard. Hand Combat Radio. Ta! Ta! Max Schmeling. <laughs> Max Schmeling. Are you, are you trying to get it right, Brad? Max Schmeling. 
That's what I said, Max Schmeling. Anyways, that was <laughs> that was a pretty good segment by us, except uh, Brad kept butchering the name. Butchering the name. It's Schmeling. Schmeling. Jimmy See, got now, it right. This is this is how you have to think of it now. Think Goldmember from Austin Powers and think Schmelting Accident. Schmeling. And then it's Schmeling Accident. Or Schmeling. A, I'm not embarrassed. No. And B, as Marv said, it is a compliment for me to get your name wrong. So somewhere Max Schmeling, Schmeling. is yes. in his grave and he's very happy yes. I messed it up. Although I, sh- I should probably know that. Uh, <laughs> sh- <laughs> uh, I will butcher a name every effing episode. So we went from like an A segment to probably a C plus. No, it was a B. Solid B. Nah, because people are like, who who Lewis fight? No, they know <laughs> who. They, I know, I know, yeah. I know. They look it up. They're going to know. Schmelling. 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 Schmel. Schmel it. Taste. Schmel. Schmelling. Well, okay. So for the ones that I, I do get wrong, the ones <laughs> I do get right are really good. Really quickly, Rhonda Rousey. I say it correctly. A lot of people don't. Um, she has big news to announce. And Does I get, she? Yeah, and I guarantee you, it's not UFC related. Um, the, the <laughs> is it WWE? Lo- it is. I know that's I, I, I really, I really do believe it is a WWE announcement. I, she's going to be on WrestleMania. Uh, pro- is WrestleMania next year? No, I think she'll be there before that. So mm. it's in April, right? She'll be there before. March. There. I think she has a big announcement. Um, first off, no matter how much money you make, y- your lifestyle changes. She has to get some sort of income. Yeah, she'll be a star in WWE. Yeah, I think so. She'll be a star. She'll be a star. Superstar. Uh, that has Superstar. to be the big news. But she leaked that she has. <laughs> yeah. She she leaked that she had. Big news. Right. She leaked it. Right. Yes. Now, we were in Columbus, Ohio for uh, fights, and when we got back to the hotel, Entourage the movie was on. And I the like part, that. the part, okay. Yeah, but, things that make you go, but. Oh, Florida was bad. How dominant she was and her attitude, all that went away with the home kick and then, oh, like, yeah. the Nunes fight. Yep. Uh, seeing her talk to Turtle, yeah. we're like, you couldn't last this and that and, like, this and that. It, she's just a shell of that now. Yeah. It's like, crack, crack, crack. Um, yeah. So, anyways, Rhonda yeah. has a big announcement. Guess what? WWE. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, our friends from, what's the show? Top Rope Review. Sunday, Top Rope Review. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Schmelling. Schmelling. Uh, Brad pulled <laughs> a sh- Actually, that should be what the term. Brad pulled a schmelling. <laughs> Brad pulled I mean, a I mean that, you can't Brad get, pulled a schmelling. You, 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 can't, you can't get a higher name I butchered, so it's got to be schmelling. 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 Exactly. Uh, I am cursed with the inability to pronounce names right or remember names. Um, speaking of which. I'm surprised you remember my name sometimes. Speaking of which, Tell really you. quick. Uh, I am going to coach my son's fall ball uh, team. Fall ball? Yeah, it's uh, just fall uh, baseball. Okay. And uh, how long do you think it will take me to get the roster's names? <laughs> they might be you wearing won't. name badges like their whole. You won't. By the end of it, it will be like you will just be calling them by number. I'm going to grab masking tape and a Sharpie, and everyone will wear their name. doesn't so. matter. You're not going to be able to look see that when they're on the field. Go, Third base. Hey, 29. Third base, move over. Yeah. Third, hey, 29, hey, 29, move yeah, in exactly. a little bit. 
Uh, it's going to take forever. Hey, you are not going to remember their names. Five, or, or, first practice. Or, first practice. Or what's going to happen is you're going to call some kid, put a poor kid by the wrong name, and he's going to be too intimidated to correct you, and you're going to call him that wrong name yeah. all season. Exactly. Uh, hey, Steven. But, and then, like, at the end of the season or whatever, dad comes out to you and goes, uh, you know my kid's name is Dave, right? Yeah. His, his last name will be something like Ambrosia, and I'll be like, Ambrosia. Ambrosia. Get over here. And then Shaquillin. at the end of the year, at, at the end of the year, he'll be like, You pull a smelling all <laughs> year on me, dude. It, it's, it's Ambrosia. D nice. Amber, Ambrosia. Yeah. Over, over to the left. <laughs> hey, left field, Ambrosia. Hey, hey, hey Ron. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. I'll mispronounce all day, dude. Uh, you must be, be Mr. Ambrosia. It's been great uh, coaching your kids. <laughs> yeah, it's, probably. A, it's ambrosia. Yeah, ambrosia. Ambrosia. Go deep. Don't yep. let a ball pass you. Yeah, you're good. It's right there. Ambrosia. What? I told you, uh, you know, my last name. People never get that. Pache. Pache, right? But people never get that right or whatever. <laughs> because it's, it's spelled it's usually peach or pick. It's spelled it's spelled picky. Well, that it's it's or pick or pike or peach. Um, but the, my favorite one. This is this was before. This was before you know when it was just landlines or whatever. Some telemarketer called. My mom's name is Vicky. He asked for Vicky Picky. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? That one is probably the best one. But no, click. I'm trying to think if I wouldn't have known your last name, how I would have said Pache. Uh, it wouldn't have been Pache. Pish. It Pishy. It, no, it wouldn't have been Pache. Yeah. Uh, it would have been. I don't know. Pish. It would have been bad. Yeah, I've heard them all. That's my Achilles heel. I can't take over the world with that, no. but uh, that's my Achilles heel. <laughs> all right, so you want to play this? Uh, you want to get it ready, and then uh, we can play this audio clip? Yeah, so uh, so really quickly, refresher here. Uh, Mark Taffet, um, who was HBO's head guy for uh, pay-per-view, who the likes for many years, too. We're talking uh, 20-something years. Uh, responsible for HBO pay-per-view and has influenced boxing in so many different ways. Um, basically, he decided, um, in the Salida Promotions, decided to do um, a roundtable. And Cyborg's a good friend, uh, Chris Cyborg, who is uh, the UFC featherweight champion. She's good friends with uh, Clarissa Shields. And uh, Clarissa Shields invited her there to carry in her belt. And then Christina Hammer was also part of the roundtable. Christina Hammer is rumored to be the next opponent for um, for uh, Shields. So I'm pulling up right here. This this is a roundtable. You're going to hear uh, some silence. What that is is typically media asking a question. But Mark does a remarkable job of repeating the question. Uh, this is about a 34-minute thing. Uh, we will see you next week. Um, by the way, the second part of our show was brought to you by Dual Combat Sports. Uh, August 25th, Dual Combat Sports will be at Motor City Casino. That's right. MMA is coming to Motor City Casino Soundboard. Tickets are available at Ticketmaster.com. Guess what? Both sponsors will have our ring girls on the same day. So what? you can see undercard ring girls on both days. So, Jimmy, if you want to yep. hook that in and just hit play. All right. And once again, this is Mark Taffet uh, and uh, Christina Hammer and also uh, Chris uh, Cyborg. Which one's the play button? I see oh. record, stop, and forward. On the front. On the front? 
go there. All right, and plays should be down somewhere in there. That one? Uh, the one with uh, the... The one just above that? The one with the triangle. Get it, Rochelle. Get it. Turn up more. Seldom in the past has there been such a strong lineup of powerhouse. Defeated 21-0, nine knockouts. And uh, I'm sure many get an up-close look at Clarissa Shields in the ring. And we make no bones about that. Boxing and women in combat sports and sports in general. Seldom in the past has there been such a strong lineup of powerhouses uh, like we have today. The two women that are featured in the fight Friday night and the two women that are here joining us today. To my right and your left uh, is uh, a woman who, uh, her name is Christiane Justino, but she goes by the name of Cyborg, Chris Cyborg to many, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know her. Um, she just had a magnificent victory and uh, got the title that she wanted for so long. Uh, she's got the, she doesn't have a wither, but somewhere she's got a beautiful piece of jewelry called the UFC Featherweight Championship belt. And uh, Chris is a big boxing fan. She works, uh, trains in all the disciplines of mixed martial arts, and whereas most athletes have a particular strength, Chris is such a competitor. Uh, her goal is to be the best in the world at each of the disciplines in MMA, and that brought her recently to train with Clarissa Shields, uh, and they have a wonderful bond together, and uh, you know it's a great combination, particularly here in the United States, to show the that the power of women in sports today. To my left, to your right, is Christina Hammer, who has come here all the way from Germany. Christina is a magnificent 160-pound middleweight champion of the WBC and WBO. Uh, undefeated, 21-0, nine knockouts. And uh, I'm sure many of the other 11 were pretty close to going to it. Somehow they made it through to the final bell. Um, Christina has a very well, uh, a tremendous amateur background. Uh, again, 21 and no one defeated as a pro. She is here uh, to get an up close look at Clarissa Shields in the ring. And we make no bones about the fact that if Clarissa is successful Friday night against Nikki Adler, uh, that at some point uh, in the future, we hope to see Clarissa and Christina in the ring for what at the time when that fight prospectively takes place would be not only the biggest fight in women's boxing, but probably one of the biggest fights in boxing, period, and um, one of the biggest fights in history for women's boxing. So we're very excited to have both Chris and Christina with us here today. Um, Chris Cyborg will be walking Clarissa Shields into the ring Friday night. She's part of Team Shields. We're uh, working on the tailor, uh, the tailoring of her uh, uniform right now, <laughs> so we can make it fit appropriately. Uh, Christina Hammer will be at ringside with her championship belts, and I'm sure if Clarissa Shields wins that fight, Christina would love to uh, let Clarissa know that she's got a couple of belts that she should be coming for at some point in the future too. So it'll be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, a lot of power, 
and it's all about women power. So uh, we're going to turn it over to all of you to ask questions, and we'll share this microphone. So just raise your hand and go ahead. Um, what have you seen from Clarissa? What do you like about her, and what does she do well? Uh, you know, when I, 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 I ask her for training for Clarissa, I, I ask her if I can improve my bed and my boxing. You know, I think the best thing to train is the best, the world one for it. I think her division, boxing. And I think she's faster. I think she's going to win tomorrow. And she's fast, she's talented, she has a lot of fighters, fights. And she'll be confident, she'll be home. Is boxing one of those disciplines that you're going to go after too? You know, I really like boxing, and why not? If I have the opportunity, McGregor open the door for MMA, fighters going to be boxing. Maybe if you have the opportunity, for sure. Of course, if you train more, you know, learn more. And I'm starting, you know, I'm going to get bad in my boxing. I think start training with Clarissa, I'm going to improve my game. And maybe one day I can have the opportunity. Maybe sometime down the road, um, if Clarissa conquers everything she wants to conquer in the boxing ring, you see her making a move to the other side, to the MMA. Yes, maybe she can find more. She's young, you know, she's 22 years old. I think she's had a long journey, and maybe for sure the woman's and me growing, like boxing woman's growing too. Maybe if she would like, it be a pressure for me, you know, help her, and you know, maybe start stand up and have to hold the hands first for good ground and for sure I think she'd be great. Uh, let me translate that answer. What she said was no. <laughs> Clarissa uh, will be sticking with boxing and, uh, she, and she has no desire to fight Chris Cyborg in, in the MMA uh, cage as well. <laughs> the big thing maybe they look with the division 165 because the one thing I was fighting uh, I think the girls have to have the same opportunity guys have, have all the visions same the guys have. And Clarissa, she's 168, 6'5 pound, and maybe they open her division, but for sure she's going to keep in boxing, but I'm uh, just saying I can be pressured and not one day this happens. Hammer, you fought on some of the biggest stages in Europe. You've now suggested your interest in fighting in the U.S., like Breckhouse has. Katie Taylor has come over here. Adler's now here. What is the enticement to fighting here? I'm assuming 
if Friday goes to plan, it may be here in Detroit. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Um, I'm here to watch the fight tomorrow and see commercial wins. And, um, and I give my comments for this fight. And I'm sure that she's winning. And um, I watch to fight against her. What, what is your, what are you looking for in coming and fighting here? Is there something that, that you're seeking in the American stage? Yes, in America it's the biggest stage. And I want to fight here in the U.S. Maybe uh, I can fight uh, this year in New York, maybe, and um, I'd like to be here. Okay, quick question for you, Christina Hammer. Um, what type of fight do you expect? Uh, I value your opinion versus Adler versus Shields tomorrow. How, how do you expect the fight to turn out, and uh, what kind of action do you expect from these two girls? Yeah, the question was, how do you see the fight going Friday night? You know, how do you see each fighter performing? Uh, what type of style and uh, action, and then what do you see as the outcome of the fight? Uh, I think Nikki uh, Adler is very slow, and she's very uh, straight and don't uh, use her reach. And I think Clarissa beat her easy. Maybe she can do a knockout. I hope so. <laughs> um, but she's not so flexible, and I think Clarissa beat her easy. Uh, UFC 218 is coming to Detroit at a brand new stadium. Are you going to try to be on the card? Uh, I would like it. And then I asked me for a fight in Holly Holm. And I think it will be perfect. She's come from boxing in Detroit. Yes, and I'm aware for it. I'm asking for it. Let's see what's going to happen. And he did interview saying, we would like to make cyber in the Holly Holm. And maybe it can be Detroit. It would be nice. Yes. What would it mean to fight here with all the Clarissa's fans here? They'd obviously be your fans because you guys are friends. What would it mean to have all that extra fans? You're going to be Cyber Nation fans with Clarissa Shield fans in Detroit. Yes, every way. <laughs> how do you see yourself matching up with Clarissa Shields? Um, I'm taller than her and faster and uh, I have more experience. I'm undefeated in seven years, and I have 21 fights. So that's all. <laughs> when would you like that fight to take place if everything goes to plan tomorrow? Um, I think Clarissa needs more time. Uh, maybe we can fight next year each other. So if she wants. Uh, question for Chris Cyborg. Uh, you're a boxing fan and obviously in the MMA world with UFC. Give us your thoughts on Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor uh, odds. question was, uh, with Chris's background and knowledge in the MMA world, give us your thoughts on how you see the Mayweather-McGregor match shaping up. Uh, you know, one thing I respect McGregor because he's opened the door for women fight an MMA fight boxing, but I don't think, see, I don't see any, I don't think he can be dangerous anything for Mayweather, I think Mayweather is going to take the, his, you know, his fight, and I think because Mayweather did this all his career, you know, and then it's very different training, boxing training for, 
for me it's much harder. It's very different, you don't train like David Cage, like people said me, I have to train like everything. And I think you can do anything, I think we're either going to have success and the show prove he's the legend in boxing. So I have to say, it's very refreshing to uh, get the straightforward, honest comments from these two women. You have the champion from Germany who articulated very clearly why her fellow German champion at a higher weight class uh, can't win Saturday night, Friday night, and Chris Seidwork who just told us why Conor McGregor can't beat Floyd Mayweather. So a straight talk's a good thing. More questions? Yes. Question for you, Mark. Uh, uh, Clarissa Shields obviously uh, is growing women's boxing. Uh, this is a great venue, MGM Grand, but you got to be 21 and older to attend. Uh, do you have visions of arenas in which younger fans can actually come see her, or how do you deal with that in boxing with the 21 and older casinos? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. It's about the, uh, the choice of venues, size, uh, you know, the, the age limits of people who can come in, etc. So this is a very uh, carefully thought out plan that uh, my partner and co-manager Jamie Fritz and I, uh, along with promoter Dimitri Salida, discuss regularly. It's very important for a boxer to have a home base. You have to have a place where your core of energy emanates from, and and, and you know, and it sends out all those uh, you know great messages that creates a, a national start. Having uh, grown up in Flint, Michigan, uh, Detroit is the perfect place for Clarissa Shields to have her home base, and we're really proud to have her be uh, a figure in the community. Now. I've spent many, many years, 25 years in the sport of boxing, and did nearly 100 fights with the MGM brand in Las Vegas. I love the MGM brand, I love the MGM management, and we're particularly fortunate to, at this stage of Clarissa's career, to have such a wonderful hotel and venue here with the MGM brand in Detroit. It's a perfect match right now for Clarissa Shields. However, as you pointed out, we want to be able to be, uh, you know, with uh, broader audiences. We clearly have our eye on and love the fact that uh, there's a new arena to be opened soon here. In fact, Chris Seidberg may be getting into that arena, you know, pretty quickly because I believe it'll be opening in the fall before the prospective UFC match uh, happens at the end of the year. Uh, that, you know, where the Pistons and, and the Red Wings will play is where we would love Clarissa Shields to be fighting at the right time, but clearly we're progressing and moving toward that. It's a wonderful expansion of the home base opportunity. And then, at some point, uh, you know, there will also be, uh, you know, we're gonna move to, we want her to be in New York, we want her to be in Los Angeles, we want her to be in Las Vegas, and she'll have those opportunities. But it's all part of a clear growth plan, one step at a time, but thanks a lot, great question. Yeah, question just for everyone heard was because of the Mayweather-McGregor fight, do you see the lines between boxing and MMA being blurred and athletes crossing over from one side to the other? You know, I think men's MMA was started like this because women's MMA just started to and had some people good judo against some people from good boxing. And I think I think when you see after that fight, Mayweather-McGregor, and open the door for the girls, 
comes from boxing for MMA or MMA to boxing and did the other you know arts for fighting and for getting bad at the sport. I think I'm gonna open the open the opportunity and I'm happy for be pioneer this and all happy girls like Clarissa, like her, you know, be amazing fights and open the door for the girls. yourself here abroad, you're here in New York, kind of often. Uh, how do you see yourself in the public eye of Americans? Do they recognize, are people starting to recognize you? I hope so. Um, I want to do a good job and I tested now here uh, for this fight to watch it and, uh, and to see how the American guys like me or not. <laughs> I think uh, it's good. Um, and I want to fight more in the U.S. Let me say, I mean, I, I've had uh, many conversations with Christina's team and with uh, Harold Pia, who's here, her, uh, her manager. And um, we, we see eye to eye uh, on a lot of fronts, including the importance of marketing and promotion to lift women's boxing. Um, Christina Hammer is a tremendous, tremendous ambassador for the sport of women's boxing. She's a great athlete, very intelligent, very savvy, very articulate. Uh, there's a reason that sponsors are, uh, are, are working with her, and she happens to have one of her uh, U.S. sponsor representatives uh, here for, for the fight as well. And Christina has made it very well known that she wants to invade the U.S. because she knows what the, what the market has. And frankly, uh, you know, if you look at boxing, for example, fighters like Canelo Alvarez from Mexico, Gennady Golovkin, um, American fans love great fighters and people who fight. They may, all, they may use their fists, but honestly, it all comes from here. It all comes from their heart. And Christina Hammer is that kind of fighter. And I think the American public is very quickly going to uh, love what they see. And that's why we are building a road to the fight. She uh, very savvily uh, claims that Clarissa Shields needs some experience and some fights before she's ready. Maybe she's right, time will tell. But I'd say from my point, as of the, from the business point of view, uh, this fight, prospectively between Hammer and Shields, is a true mega fight. And uh, we're not gonna wait too long that the public says, you know, you missed the boat, you missed your opportunity. But we're gonna make sure that the public gets to know more about both of these young ladies and in a period of time, surely within a year or probably less, uh, that, that fight will take place. Um, but we're, we're proud of our uh, relationship today with Christina and her team. Going back to that, if Hammer, you're saying that you don't feel like she's ready, who should she face? Should it be a Callie Reese or somebody else? Maybe she can face it, but Kelly um, Reese was the WBC champion middleweight, but I'm the WBC champ now. Uh, I won, I won against her, and so she has to show what is what is doing, and uh, she has to show her her size. How do you think she would do about with Kelly Reese since you faced her twice? I think it was a really good fight, so very close. So. Anybody else? Hey Chris, 
Chris. Um, is this your first time in Michigan, and what do you think about where Shields is from? Yeah, first time in Detroit, Michigan, and first time in the box fight. And then, you know, I, I, I think it's great. I'm gonna tomorrow night. I'm gonna see all the fans and who follow me each year. And I have, I'm gonna have more news about today. Yeah, about this question after tomorrow. And maybe it can be here in December again, but five minutes just to watch. You know, I, I don't know how many of you know or recall, but um, Chris fought uh, what, on Showtime once? Yes. Yeah, I think the history of the MMA, the first belt, 145 pound, I fought Gina Carano, and they make big numbers in Showtime. And people about Showtime are going to know about me for sure. <laughs> Who else? Yes, go ahead. Uh, Chris Cyborg, uh, you said you and Shields have become good friends. What do you look for in friendship, and what do you see in Shields as a person that makes you want to be around her? Uh, she has a good, she is the champ. She, her mind is the champ. And if, you, if she said she needs more time, she's going to say, no, I need time, I'm going to fight you tomorrow. And then I think she's like that, like this, and she's training really hard. And for me, it's going to improve my game for boxing. And she's open her mind for helping too, for training. And good partner, good friend. And you have the same goal, keep the champion and belt a lot of times you can. And I think this is big, big, big for which you get. Same goal. Chris, uh, as far as Shields' uh, smack talk game, how does that match up with some of the uh, great fighters that you know and how about the measure against McGregor, if you will? <laughs> that, that's a heck of a bar. <laughs> well, you know. And, and does women's boxing need a little bit more of that? Yeah, his, his question is, uh, what do you think of uh, Clarissa? Uh, uh, crazy talk. Uh, yeah. Compared to some of the other fighters you know, like uh, Conor McGregor or others. Uh, you know, my style, I don't like to talk too much. You know, I like to fix everything inside the talk on the ring. And, but each person has the style. And if you see some people, when you keep talking, you, you can go inside their, their mind, their opponent. And some people, it works, you know? Some people, it's a weak mind and what you said, they're gonna keep thinking about. But for me, you know, I have different style, but I respect anyone. But the reality, you have to fix the problem inside the title. You know, they don't have to talk, and just punch and kick and whatever. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Uh, question for Christina. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately about two-minute rounds versus three-minute rounds for women's boxing. What do you prefer? Do you see good and bad on both sides? Yeah, that, that's the rule, two minutes, uh, ten rounds. I think it's enough uh, to win. <coughs> we can try it for three minutes, but I think uh, two minutes works good. And, yeah, <laughs> well, we have to change it. Steve, I know, I, 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 did you, have you spoken to Clarissa about that? Yeah, because Clarissa's point is, is very interesting uh, to me. I asked her that question, and she said two minutes, and I said, oh, is it a conditioning issue? And she said, absolutely not. She said, in a three-minute round, you don't get 
uh, you know, you don't, you don't get full three minutes of action. She said, there's a sense of urgency in the two minute round that has, there's no such thing as, well, let me rest for a minute, and let me see what I do, and let me try to steal the round at the end. In two minutes, every second counts. So Clarissa's point of view is, a better fight and a more exciting fight will take place with two minute rounds, which uh, I had never thought about, but I found really interesting and, and, and uh, it appeals to me. With that said, would you be interested in seeing uh, fights go back to, and for the men as well, going from two to two minute rounds and maybe going back to 15 rounds? I, I you know, I've spent a lot of time in boxing. Um, I, I don't really have an interest in seeing fights going back to 15 rounds. Um, from the, from a sport perspective, 12 is more more than enough. Um, I think what's very interesting is the new younger generation of fans like spurts of, of action to take place, they like sound bites shorter, they like action shorter, everything in life they prefer shorter. So there's a real question about what's the most appealing format for the next generation of fans. And I think it's very important for uh, boxers to have a sense of urgency about the action that they bring to the ring because it's very important to for the next generation of younger fans to connect to boxing and to appreciate it for the way that they want it consumed. Um, so for that reason, for sure, I don't think 15 rounds. And I think competitively, when you know you don't get the best of fighters when they're uh, you know tired, it's such a physically demanding sport. I like the duration to be when the athletes are at their best to see the true competitiveness and skills between the athletes. And when, when they're tired uh, and those factors come into play, I, I just don't think that that should be the determinant of, uh, of the outcome of the match. Anybody else? Sure, go ahead. Mark, with your experience in, in boxing, what's the, what's the health of boxing, do you think, right now? At this point, overall, men, women, everything, your views on boxing? I think that uh, there's an incredible opportunity for, uh, for women's boxing to grow. Um, and that's why, uh, after a long career at HBO, um, I met with Clarissa Shields and, and asked if I could work, uh, work on her team with, with Jamie. Um, because of Chris and the women of MMA, uh, women's combat sports are perceived and accepted and respected in a different light. So clearly the stage is there and the door is open. Now, what we need in women's boxing, uh, historically there were big weight differences between the two fighters the same night. Uh, there were uh, too often mismatches and great differences in skills. We need a broader and deeper uh, talent base. But because of people like Clarissa Shields, Christina Hammer, uh, Katie Taylor, who's just come out in others. Uh, Michaela Meyer, one of Clarissa's friends and Olympic teammates who uh, recently uh, is about to make her debut with the uh, top rank. Um, I think that more and more amateur female fighters will be turning professional because there'll be an opportunity for them. With networks like Showtime stepping up and providing the platform, uh, there'll be a place for the great amateur women fighters to go, and I expect over the next few years to see a drastic increase in the quality level 
uh, and breadth of talent. And when that happens, women's boxing will, will continue to rise. And like in MMA, I believe will become just as attractive uh, as, as the men's action, if not more so. Now, on the men's side, what's very important is that the, uh, there continue to be a strong young base of talent. And most importantly, that in a sport with many, many factions, because of all the different promoters who have uh, self-interest, that the best always fight the best. Um, I had a saying at HBO for many, many years, when the best fight the best, there are no losers. Because the public knows what you showed with your heart. Look at Vladimir Klitschko and the way he fought against uh, Anthony Joshua, for example. No one will ever criticize Vladimir Klitschko for having not won that fight. In fact, quite the opposite. They have more respect and admiration for him than ever. I saw his older brother, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, have the same kind of uh, experience when he fought Lennox Lewis. What Vitaly Klitschko showed in that ring in LA, and Steve remembers that fight. Everyone will forever remember if they've seen that fight, Vitaly Klitschko's performance. If you give of your heart and your courage in the ring, win or lose, the fans can't get enough of you. So as long as in boxing, the promoters continue to have the best fight the best, like you have with Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin on September 16th, that's how you make a sport attractive to the fans. I will tell you, as you've seen with people like Christina Hammer and Clarissa Shields, like with Nikki Adler, they just want to fight the best. They can't wait to fight. You'll never hear the women boxers of today saying, oh, you know, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. They can't wait to fight the best. Clearly with Chris Cyborg and in MMA, it's happening right now. And if uh, Canelo and Golovkin can do, if, if, if it does anything, let it show that when the best fight the best, reinforcing there are no losers and, and boxing will be in great shape. Thank you. Any other more questions? So I, I have one for Christina Hammer. Do you uh, foresee yourself uh, taking residence in the United States at some point along the way to uh, increasing your presence and popularity here? Or do you think um, that you'll make visits here, maybe do some fights here, but continue to live abroad? It's an interesting question. Now I can say nothing about that. Uh, uh, the future was, uh, will bring it through. And, um, first I want to, to fight here in the US and show what I can do. And I want to be a long time champion and fight against Clarissa. Yes, and maybe it's a good option that I be resident here. So everything is possible in the US. And by the way, just to be clear, I didn't mean resident as in, you know, when will you become a U.S. citizen? That's, uh, I didn't mean, I think, okay, I just want to make sure that would not be appropriate. What's okay. oh, Just uh, last sure. question for you, Mark. Um, really uh, quickly, in Europe, soccer stadiums, attendance is up. In America, we compete against a lot of other sports, but it's exciting to see what's going on in Europe. Um, any vision on where U.S. can reach that level attendance-wise, competing against so much, many different activities? Well, we'll cover it since, because out of respect for both the women that are up here, we'll cover from both sports perspectives. Um, from an MMA perspective, um, you know, they're doing a great job uh, filling arenas, uh, you know, uh, 18, 20, 22,000 seats. It's not something that happens once a year. It happens fairly regularly. 
um, you know, the younger fans have clearly uh, run to that sport um, and, they, and they follow it and they do very well with it. So, you know, kudos to the folks that are involved in doing that for MMA and, uh, you know, and those of us in boxing strive to do the same. Uh, in, in boxing in the United States, um, we're finding more and more that, again, if the right matches are made, if the best are fighting the best, um, the fans come out. Uh, Madison Square Garden and Barclays Center in New York are regularly uh, putting 15 to 20,000 or more people uh, in, in, in the seats for those events, more, than, more so than happened in years past, and I was thrilled to see that. If you go to Los Angeles, um, they have some smaller arenas there that, uh, you know, the Home Depot Center, for example, uh, and, and um, you know, the, uh, that, that puts seven to 10,000 people in the seats regularly, and Staples Center, um, as well as the, the newly uh, revitalized LA Forum, uh, are, are putting 15 to 20,000 people again. It's a matter of putting the right fights and the right fighters there. Kanani Golovkin's done a wonderful job selling in Los Angeles. Um, he's also sold well in New York, as, as have, you know, when Miguel Cotto comes to New York, the fights sell well. Um, if you go to Texas, you can take Canelo Alvarez, Julio Cesar Chavez, uh, and the arenas aren't big enough. You know, there's a reason Jerry Jones is involved. You know, when you feed the right product to the Latino fan base in the United States, you can put 30, 40, 50,000 more. We did it in Houston with Canelo. It was done in, in Cowboy Stadium for Manny Pacquiao. Um, it just requires the right fighters in the right cities and in the right matchups. And we can do here in the United States what happens in those soccer stadiums overseas. You know, in the 25 years that I was at HBO, I always looked at soccer and said, we've got to do more of that. Uh, and as, as the promoters brought, even Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., for example, came here to the United States and fought more, not just in Mexico. You know, the stadiums were filled there. Barrera, Morales, and Marquez were putting 15, 20,000 people, you know, in the arenas regularly. And again, it didn't, wasn't just the Latino weddings. Floyd Mayweather was filling up uh, arenas for uh, 15 to 20 fights. Um, Tito Trinidad, you know, was, was filling up uh, in New York, you know, followed by Miguel Cotto. So, you know, I, I think boxing has, has learned and the promoters are being savvy about it and all they need to do is break down the barriers between them, not see themselves as eight separate nations, but as one common sport. And I think you can regularly see uh, arenas filled all year round for boxing as you see for MMA. <coughs> Okay. All right, we're...